live, man. All right. We are live. Uh, podcast episode number 26. We have a special guest here today. If you look at this picture here, this is very important for some of you guys that came with us early. <laughs> that picture right there is a man with a red shirt on, Steve Murphy. Okay, The show Narcos on Netflix. The man below is Pablo Escobar. And our guest today is my friend, Steve Murphy. Steve, it's good to see you again. You as well, Patrick. Thanks for having me back. And obviously, Tom uh, uh, will be with us. Me, yep. Tom, and good Steve. Good to see so, you guys. Tom, we got to grow Steve today wow. on, on, on what happened with Pablo Escobar, what's no going on with Oregon. We got to yeah. learn from Steve. And uh, I think the last time, uh, Steve, when you were a guest, um, we did an interview on uh, Pablo Escobar right when Narcos was uh, still being, you know, going around. It was a talk of town. And I think that's got over 3 million views. What's exciting is today, Steve's uh, 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 paperback book, Manhunters, comes out today. How we took down the how we took down Pablo Escobar, which we're gonna have a good time going into that. Um, but prior to that, let me kind of preface some of the topics we got. Let's talk about some of the topics we got today. Business, predatory and opportunistic. Southwest Airlines seizes the moment uh, as rival struggles. Okay, we'll talk about what's going on over there. Uh, who is the modern day Pablo Escobar? Uh, is it uh, Rafa Caro Quintero? Is it El Chapo? Is it somebody else? We will see what uh, Steve has to say about that. Elon Musk's Tesla joining the S&P 500, SpaceX launching four astronauts to the International Space Station, and a milestone for countries' commercial space ambitions. HBO Max is coming uh, uh, to Amazon devices, which I'm curious to know what you think about that, by the way, Tom. I'm actually really curious. What, what kind of a difference is that going to make? Sure. Vista Outdoors reports ammunition backlog over a billion dollars. I want to hear what uh, Steve's got to say about it. And a couple of clips with Steve, uh, Sidney Powell. If you guys have been following that. And then Nancy Pelosi uh, begging, not pleading, begging with House Stems to not take jobs on Biden cabinet in fear of losing majority. Trump march in Washington. Biden charity spent on research. $3.7 million on salary, zero on research, which uh, I don't know if that's a good idea to do that way. Warren urges Biden to bypass Congress and cancel student loan debt. Hillary Clinton to be added on ambassador as a U.N. Assyrians being attacked by Turks. Maybe we can get into that a little bit. And then uh, legalizing drugs across the level. Oregon votes to decriminalize all drugs. Curfews coming to L.A. Newsom saying considering statewide uh, uh, curfew. Dominion voting system, the company at the center of Michigan and Georgia voting glitches. Uh, and then 300,000 people left uh, New York. But prior to us getting to any of these topics, Steve, you're somebody that you probably follow the current event and what's taking place. What are your thoughts with everything's going on? Since the last time you and I met, we've had coronavirus, we've had protesting, we've had riots, we've had, you know, uh, a bunch of things going on with election, you know, divided America today. What are your thoughts with the current state we have in, uh, in America? Well, the, the two biggest topics you see now is the election and the coronavirus. And I'll be honest with you, I'm sick of both of them. The, I live in the D.C. area, and, and it's our news media is just dominated by what's going on there. Uh, I think here in our country, we're probably divided more now than we ever have been since the Civil War. It's ridiculous what's going on. We're still Americans. You can still have differences of opinion. That doesn't make you an enemy. You know, you don't have to go into a fight. I'm a big proponent of the First Amendment. I'm a proponent of all the amendments. But the right to speech, I like it. That doesn't give you the right to violence, to commit uh, destruction, robberies, assault other people. So there's got to be some control over that. You know, I love it that one party preaches or presents itself to be the uh, peaceful party. But the truth is, I'm not seeing, and, and not to get too political here, because I try to stay apolitical, but uh, you see one party marches and you don't see a lot of uh, violence. The other one 
business owners had to board up their shops yeah. before the announce the, the election results were announced. So it's it's a double-edged sword. Now, if you talk to that particular party, I'm sure they'll say, oh, it's Antifa or that's the other groups yeah. that are just there to commit, uh, commit violence, which is possible, but somebody's funding them. Right. You know, I asked, I asked uh, uh, who was uh, – we had a couple friends here in town from Michigan. They were here yesterday. We spent three hours with them. Good people, good business people. And I asked the question, I said, what happens if Sidney Powell is right? Okay, Sidney Powell's not a lightweight attorney. I think we would all agree, right. agree with that if you know, you know Sidney Powell. Hmm. Sidney Powell is Trump's current attorney who represented, I believe, Michael Flynn. Yeah. And <laughs> she is – Former as, prosecutor for the feds. Yeah. She's as – She's as strong as any of these guys can be. But can you pull up the video on Sidney Powell? I don't know which one you have, by the way. I'm just curious to know which one you got up. There's one video. Is this the one, Sidney Powell? Yeah, uh, uh, from Sunday. You want to you put it on. This is from Sunday. Mm-hmm. You want to put it on 1.5. You want to put it on 1.5. Go to speed 1.5 and maybe speed it up a little bit. Yeah, if you want to put the in audio. In 2,000 okay. jurisdictions in 30 states, according to experts, if one site has a flaw, other sites are likely to as well, which is why Texas rejected using Dominion software three times, raising concerns that the system was not safe from fraudulent or unauthorized manipulation. That's troubling, given we already know that at least two software glitches in Georgia and Michigan occurred on election night. Attorney uh, Sidney Powell is leading the charge against Dominion, and she says she has enough evidence of fraud to launch a massive criminal investigation. Sidney, thanks very much for being here. We appreciate your time this morning. I want to get right into it. We just heard about the software uh, made by Smartmatic from Rudy, and I want to Get your take on what you report, what you and I spoke about just two minutes ago. And that speaks, is a gentleman named way. Peter Neffinger. Tell me how he fits into all of this. Yes, well, he is listed as its former Admiral Peter Neffinger, or retired Admiral Peter Neffinger. He is president and on the board of directors of Smartmatic. And it just so happens he's on uh, Mr. Biden's presidential transition team that's going to be non-existent because we're fixing to overturn the results of the election in multiple states. And President Trump won by not just hundreds of thousands of votes, but by millions of votes that were shifted by this software that was designed expressly for that purpose. We have sworn witness testimony of why the software was designed. It was designed to rig elections. He was fully briefed on it. He saw it happen in other countries. It was exported internationally for profit by the people that are behind Smartmatic and Dominion. They did this on purpose. It was calculated. They've done it before. We have evidence from 2016 in California. We have so much evidence. I feel like it's coming in through a fire hose. Okay, pause it right there. Wow. So, Sydney. uh, So, if you haven't watched it, by the way, then I watched Stelter this morning on CNN. Uh, is, is, it, is that that's his name, Stelter? Is that the uh, you know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know who you're talking Type about. Type in Stelter CNN, and I'm watching him this morning just to kind of see what both sides are saying. Okay, Stelter, I believe it's uh, CNN, uh, CNN. Yeah, type that in, and just that's fine. Just Kai, what are you doing? Just that's good. Uh, and it's got a yeah, right there. Press on the first one, click on the first one. Fox News has never had this much competition Texas. as they are today. Et cetera, et cetera. And then it's explaining the fact that AON, you know, Newsmax, all these guys are competing with them. And demand the, problem. the disinformation supply and demand. So right on now. this section. The is over, even though President it. Trump is still in denial. Pause it right there. So in this section, he is saying everything everybody else is saying is disinformation. All the stuff that we're hearing about Dominion is disinformation. Sidney Powell on the other side is saying, no, this is real. We have proof. And not a little bit of proof, but we have a lot of proof, right? Yeah. Here's my question for both of you guys. Let's say, let's just play this real quick. Right now, America's peaceful. There's nothing going on in the streets, mm-hmm. okay? I went to a Barnes & Noble the other day to buy a few books for my kids. I saw Time Magazine, not president-elect, 46th president. Like okay? it's official. It's yeah. official. It didn't say president-elect on the cover, but Joe Biden's president, 46, right? Say there's three things that have happened. One, 
This goes the way it is. Biden's the president. Number two, it continues, and, uh, you know, Biden becomes president. Maybe there's a negotiation for some other stuff. And, you know, the whole pardon thing, we're not going to bother you. Let us just go and we'll concede. You know, I'll, sure. I'll concede. Okay. But number three, if Powell is right, if what Powell is saying is right, if there is voter fraud at the level where it got Chavez elected, it got Maduro elected, yeah. where he can switch the votes without anybody knowing about it, if it flips, let's go to the if it flips. You're in that world. If it flips, as ugly as the last year, two years have been with protesting and riots, if it flips, what happens to America? Uh, it's going to be so bad. I mean, I'm not even sugarcoating. And I'm the most optimistic person anybody knows. Uh, you asked me 8, 10, 12, two years ago, 8, 10, 12 months, two years ago, I would never think it would be possible yeah. for us to be in the situation that we're in right now. And it gets worse every day. All right, Steve, you had mentioned the fact that, hey, we're pretty divided right now and, you know, we're still Americans. I don't feel that way. The, 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 the divisiveness is so strong. So, Pat, what would happen? They've already got a plan for it. One side. I'm sure they do. Um, their soldiers, their foot soldiers, Antifa, whoever it is on the street, they've yeah. got a plan for that. They're organized. They're organized in every city. There isn't bit one big national block of Antifa. They're in every city. They're card-carrying members in some of these cities. That's why you see them so organized in a Portland and in a Seattle and places like this, and they can uh, mobilize quickly. So if number three happened, it would be un the military would have to be involved right here in the United States. In my opinion, it would be so bad. Now, what is holding her back from unloading some of this information? Because she, her reputation is at stake. I mean, this is the biggest thing she's ever been involved in, right? A lot of people are knowing Sidney Powell because of her involvement with this. I'm ready for the information to start coming out. She implied on Sunday morning that it might start happening this week. I mean, when you start saying the information is coming in through a fire hose, yeah, fire hose. It's, at some point it, we have to see some of this. Are they being so careful and meticulous knowing that things are so volatile, it's like a powder keg, it'll go off yeah. once this comes out? I don't know, but we got to start seeing the evidence by the end of the week. Have to. What do you think will happen, Steve? I agree. If you got the evidence, put it on the table. You know, let's get through this. Let's get over this. Let's make a final decision. Let's keep stop keeping the entire United States disrupted by what's going on. If there's evidence, let's see it. Don't just sit around and talk about it. But what do you think will happen if the evidence shows and Trump stays as president? Oh, it's it's going to be violent. You the chaos so? is going to be worse than it has been. I think. You know, yeah. the the one side doesn't want to give up. The Look at the last four years of his administration. I mean, they, they took him for impeachment mm -hmm. and, and lost. Yeah, so imagine being the, the, the most powerful person in the world and you can't get your job done effectively because of all these distractions they keep throwing at yeah, you. Yeah, and the whole narrative will be that he stole it, right? And that it, oh, <laughs> They are so ready for this, I think. I think it gets really bad if that were to happen. And you almost wonder if sometimes if Trump in the back of his mind is thinking, Man, this is what would happen. Maybe I'm better off to slide away on this one. But I think he'd start campaigning day one for 2024. I literally think he would be a four-year campaigner for the next job. He'd be doing rallies every week, I think. I think he loves it. Why, why is that? Why, why because I think he, he feels he's the face of the Republican Party right now and the mm -hmm. conservatives. And I think he looks at himself as a savior. And I don't mean that in a in a way that you know he Spiritual thinks he's God, God or something. Yeah. But I think he sees a real tipping point here in the country right now. Someone has to step forward and be the face of it, and and he people rally to him. So mm -hmm. if he is officially out, I think he declares a candidacy for 2024. I remember when Obama 
you know, announced and it caught a lot of people off guard. He started campaigning the beginning of 2007, which is a pretty long time. I remember him and, you know, making appearances and doing speeches. That's a long time to campaign. I think Trump would double that. I think he would be campaigning for four years. Literally. What's the outcome, though, of campaigning for, for four for, years? For him to win, to make sure that he wins in 2024. Maybe to help flip the House in two years, to get some momentum just going on the Republican side. For it's, him to win in 2024, meaning what does that mean for him to win in 2024? President. He's going to run for president oh, again. three-term, you're thinking? No, or no. I'm saying if he loses. If he loses. Okay. If he loses yeah, yeah. No, if he loses, uh, <clears throat> I, I, think, I think he starts campaigning right away and runs again. Yeah, I I, uh, um, uh, I hope we're wrong with what's going to happen if he does. I mean, the reality of it is... The chances of him winning. Have you been studying a lot with what's going on with uh, Sidney Powell, Dominion? Have you looked at a lot of that stuff with the software or not really? No. Okay, yeah. you've been following yeah. yourself. What, what are your chances right now? From last week, you said a different okay. percentage, 28%. <laughs> Has it changed or are you about the same number? No, I'm going to stay the same. I'm going to say like in the low 30s. It. I'm going to say it, it was 28%, but it went up a little bit just because of her confidence. Yeah. She's sitting on something. They yeah. know something. And, but, but, but she comes out. Now, what, what are the laws? What are the regulations? How is the court going to handle that? I mean, that's the part where we don't know what's going to happen. And right. The reality is, what is the timeline? You got to the middle of December. By the way, if you watch CNN, if you watch MSNBC, they are convinced 100% Trump is gone, Biden's the president. If you watch Newsmax, if you watch AON, if you watch, can't say Fox, but if you watch those two, they're fully convinced that... Trump is winning, and they have something here, right? It's it's for me. It's hard to sit in the middle and say I don't really know what's going to happen right now because if they are right, you know, everything about a strategist is what. If this happens, we do this. If that happens, we do this. If that happens, we pivot here. I tell you what, though, if he does come in shock, I mean, you realize what happens to the media. If the last four years he marketed fake news at the level that he did and he wins, you know what he's going to do next four years? He's going to trash these guys in ways that's never happened before, and they're going to make a fool out of themselves if he wins. But flip it. Let me flip it for you. Yeah. Flip it for you. Say he loses. Okay. Okay? Biden wins. If he loses, Biden wins. Um, his reaction. How is he going to react if he loses after dragging it out for one week? Because if you drag it out this long and you lose— it's not a pretty scene right there. So what do you think is going to happen he, if he ends up losing? He stays with the same narrative that he had it taken away from yeah. him, that he officially won, that he had more votes. But for the good of the country, he's going to step aside. So I think that's how he would handle it. Um, he'll never get off the fact that he thinks he won this. And he, you know what? Presidents, just like they know what's going on, as you do, um, you know, they get their intelligence reports every day. He knows things that are going on in Iran and Afghanistan yeah. and China right now that we'll never know. We have mm -hmm. no clue. Clearly, he has some information about what happened here, but there might not be anything he can do about it by the end of this week. Yeah, I'm curious myself. What do you think? Well, one, I, I'm really upset because I think the rest of the world is just sitting back laughing at us. You know, I think we've become the, the worldwide joke. I think we're losing our prominence in the, in the world view as being the leading country in the entire world because of things like this. Um, I, and to be just quite honest, I think it's sad that the two best candidates we could come up with were who we had to choose from, not just this election, but the last election mm -hmm. as well. I mean, Hillary we, and Trump and Trump and Biden. Right. And, and you know, i got to be honest with you, I used to— uh, when Biden was in as, as the vice president, I heard him speak to a law enforcement group, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and I liked everything he said. You know, and I'm a very conservative type person, and he wasn't, but uh, he came across very pro-law enforcement. Check it now. 
He's not pro in law enforcement now. Have you heard anything about all the police officers that are being killed in the line of duty here in the United States right now? The numbers are going up. Mm -hmm. The ambushes, the the unprovoked attacks. And what's the media doing? The media highlights every police officer involved shooting, not waiting to the for the facts. They try to inflame every you know the listeners, which that's what kills me about the media as well. Yeah. You tell me what the story is, what the facts are, and let me decide what I think is right and wrong. Don't tell me what I'm supposed to believe. But but that ship has sailed. The media is no longer that anymore. I mean, if you're looking to get news and information and something unbiased, it will never happen again. I mean, they're businesses. That's all they are. What what is the price? What is the price of not showing anything good that cops do? Meaning, if it's only showing things they do bad and they don't show anything good that cops do, what's the consequences? What's what's the results? Anarchy. More, More hatred of the cops? You know, and especially playing up when something that does happen, when someone gets shot by a cop, right? And right. immediately the call is for violence in those cities, yeah. and, and it goes out, and they just perpetuate it. You know, I can just speak from experience. Um, like on our news site, vtpost.com, like you, if I wanted to find a picture, you know, and go to some of these news services and find a photo from a riot in Portland, or maybe something that happened in Minneapolis if we needed it. They were trying to, you know, the city council in Minneapolis had to have an emergency meeting and and get $500,000 to bring in more cops because their defunding thing wasn't working and their city's out of control. I can't even find the images because they won't even allow you to search for riot or protest or thing like that. It's, it's all unrest. So the you just see it on every layer, on every level. And, you know, we talked about violence. If this thing were to, uh, if Trump were somehow were to, able to flip this thing, it would be stoked by the media. They would be the ones almost encouraging it and championing the people that are out there protesting, right? So it's interesting, well, Steve, man. You look at the media and when it's a slow news day, what do they do? They sensationalize the weather. They sensationalize the traffic patterns, whatever the, you know, I mean, anything to explode a story way out of proportion. Just tell us the facts and let us decide. That's one of the things Javier and I, you know, Javier and I have our speaking business. And when we do conferences, the last thing we leave the audience with is don't let other people tell you what to think. You know, when there's a story that happens, you do your research and you make a decision. Don't listen to other people just simply because they're willing to voice their opinions. Yeah. And, it, you know, and with coronavirus, because they're tied in, because yeah. everything is about fear right now. All right. There, there's a fundamental effort, I think, just to get people to change this country and they're going to do it with fear. So it's the numbers that they throw at us every single day with coronavirus. I think there will be a point, literally, I think it'll come very, very soon. People say they don't trust the media or they don't watch it. Clearly, they still get numbers, but they're speaking to you know themselves. CNN, MSNBC, they're speaking to the liberal elite the, on, the, on the coasts, essentially. They disregard everybody in the middle of the country. But I really think it's coming to a point where the media is going to be the real enemy of people. And there has to be one way for people to get information. And I'm not sure how they're going to be able to get it. Maybe a, a new news site that's out there, you know, a VT post or something. But it's it's crazy. And this is from just studying it. And I don't want this to happen, but you can just feel it shifting constantly. Each month it gets a little bit worse. I mean, you know, what, what Stelter was saying on CNN uh, last night, he was saying the fact that Fox, he was defending Fox News. Can you imagine a CNN stelter defending Fox News? He was defending Fox News, saying the fact that Fox, uh, uh, even though a lot of Republicans right now are not trusting Fox because Trump keeps tweeting stuff out saying, you know, Fox is not what it used to be, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the direction they're going. So when's the last time you saw CNN defending Fox? Right. It's not every day you see that taking place. So maybe some of these media companies are afraid 
and they're distancing themselves a little bit, little bit from Trump like a Fox News, worried that if a new administration takes place, if they're not too neutral, they may experience censorship. I don't know. But I think for me, um, take a Trump administration out and a Biden is in there. What do you talk about on CNN? What do you really talk? Do you just every day talk about how Biden is the greatest president of all time? What, yeah. what are you going to talk? Today you will not believe what they did. Record break, you know, phenomenal. You need an yeah. enemy. Conflict. You need some, but they're not going to have it without exactly. a Trump. And Trump was probably one of the best things that happened to media, especially for advertising. Think about how many eyeballs these guys got just because it was a guy like Trump yep. in the office. So, Steve, you and I, I wanted to wait a little bit to more the audience got on. So, guys, if you if you if you just jumped on here right now. Uh, our guest today, Steve Murphy, he is the man who took down Pablo Escobar. If you want to bring that picture up with Pablo, and uh, he wrote a book, he and Javier Pena, which we've had on before. The last time he was on, the title of the interview I think we did was Who Killed Pablo Escobar? It was a title. It got a few million views, three million views to be exact. That's himself right there. That's Pablo. This event happened when? That picture is what, 93? December 2nd, 93. December 2nd, 93. From then till today... Uh, I mean, you took down, you wrote a book about how you guys took down Pablo Escobar. After that, from that moment till today, how much have you seen changed from the, the world or different countries popping out the next Pablo Escobar? Is there possibilities of having the next Pablo Escobar since you guys took down Pablo? Absolutely. You know, and, and so on our speaking tours, we open up for Q&A with audiences. You can ask us anything. I mean, you can talk to us about the investigation. You can ask us about the Netflix series Narcos. We would talk about our personal lives to a certain degree. But one of the most frequently asked questions is how has drug trafficking or the war on drugs changed since the death of Pablo Escobar, the world's first narco terrorist, the world's most wanted criminal of his day? Well, the first answer is, can you still go out on any street corner in the United States and buy cocaine? We all know the truth. You can. It hasn't diminished at all. You look at the prices, the supply versus demand. Prices are down. The wholesale prices of cocaine in the United States, coming into the United States, are down, which is indicative of a, a, a large supply of cocaine coming in. The sad thing is, here in the United States, we are the leading consumer country in the world when it comes to illegal narcotics. Well, really? there's, that's a reputation wow. we're not proud of, but it's the truth. So people say, well, uh, why have a drug war on drugs? You know, we're looking at legalization of marijuana as well as other drugs mm -hmm. now here in the United States. So this is, a lot of people think it's strange coming from Javier and I when we say this. The war on drugs is one of the biggest misnomers I've ever heard. Go back to the time of Pablo Escobar. We're going after a person who's responsible for 80% of the cocaine supply in the world. Wow. Now think about this. In your occupations, wouldn't you like to have 80% of the market? A, it's called a monopoly. <laughs> yes. Right? And that's what he was able to achieve. So we're going in on this war on drugs. Well, when you go to the war... You get your allies together, you get your material, your personnel, you go in to win. What did we do in Colombia? We sent two Americans, Javier Pena and Steve Murphy. Does that sound like a war? Now, we had support from the embassy. We had agents just chomping at the bit to come and join us up there. We had DEA offices all around the world. We had law enforcement around the world wanting to participate and assist any way they possibly could. But it was not a war. You know, it seemed like it because of all the bombings. We're flying in on Huey gunships being shot at as we're coming in. You're going out on patrols and having car bombs blow up and kill police officers that you're traveling with. you got indiscriminate car bombs going, uh, going off around all the cities, Bogota, Medellin, and Cali, simply because Pablo Escobar wanted to impose his will on everybody else to make him. He wanted, you know, he got elected as uh, a member of Congress 
the justice minister, Rodrigo Larbonilla, had the stones to stand up and call him what he was, a murderer and a drug trafficker. We know what happened to him. Exactly. <laughs> cost him his life. He paid the ultimate price. But you yeah. know what? The man is a hero because he was brave enough to stand up and tell the truth. Hmm. Well, you know, maybe if we could do that here in the United States, stand mm-hmm. up and tell the truth. Yeah. You know, not anyway. Pat, can I make one quick yeah, comment sure. on this photo? This is the first time I've seen this photo, Steve. Mm-hmm. Just looking at you, the, the thing that just jumps out at me, you look relieved. Like so <laughs> much of your life had been spent obsessing about this guy, and maybe you couldn't even believe it at that time that he's lying in front of you dead. I mean, was it an obsession? Was that all that you were consumed with? And how long did it take? How long were you after him? Well, so I write, this, this picture is the culmination of an 18-month manhunt. But Pablo Escobar started dealing drugs in the late 70s, early 80s. So this was a long time. This is December 1993. There were two manhunts. The first one before his surrender, which he got the you know the, the deal of a lifetime, where he surrendered to his custom-built prison mm-hmm. and stayed in there one year. And then the day he... Country he, club. I mean, he built oh, his prison. I mean, who gets to build their own prison? It's ridiculous. Yeah. And you go in there, and, and he had a two-room suite. He had a jacuzzi tub in his, in his <laughs> private bathroom. <laughs> You know, what we have in the United States, Baller. just like everywhere yeah. else, is group showers. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. But you're right in the fact that we felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off our shoulders. My wife and I had adopted our first daughter. We had two sons that were back in the United States. It's, and I tell people, a lot of people read the book or they see the different shows and interviews that we've done. And, and they'll email us and they'll send us messages. Hey, I'm interested in becoming a DEA agent. What's it all about? First thing I tell them, it's not a job. It's a lifestyle. It will affect every area of your life. And you know what happens? Mm. And this is wrong. I don't believe in this. I believe, I believe our priorities should be God, family, job. What happens, though, your priorities become job, family, God. Okay? So th- it just becomes consuming. God goes last. Unfortunately. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. Why I, is that? Why I, do you say God lasts? Just because you get consumed by things like this. Every sin in the Bible you have to commit. Is that, is that kind of why you're saying God goes last? Because to really pull off what you want to do, you're going to have to do stuff that even oh, no, God no, no, no. wouldn't be. Is that what you're saying or no? You don't lose your values and principles. No, never. Okay. You never give up your so integrity. So why would God go last, though? It's just the way it happens. You know, because you're, you're consumed by things like this. I mean, I'm living in Medellin for 18 months. My wife's back in Bogota, and we adopted our first daughter. So she's back there. I can't even spend time with them. Javier's family's back in Texas. They can't. He can't come and visit his family because they wanted us both in country, you know, every day to handle what was going on. And then when you do get to come home and see your family, you're kind of focused on them, and that's where they come in second. And then mm. if, with your principal, I grew up a preacher's kid, you know. So I, God's a very uh, strong part of our family, of our beliefs. Um, thank God he's a merciful God and, and uh, forgiving because <laughs> I had a lot to be forgiven of. I, but the thing is— we never broke the law. We broke policies and procedures every day. We weren't supposed to go out on operations. We're flying out on operations every day in helicopter gunships going on raids. You never bro- broke the law. You broke policies and procedures every day. Oh, they didn't want us to leave the base. The first policy we broke was leaving the base. Bend the rules a little bit, right? <laughs> no, we broke it. <laughs> we broke it. <laughs> you know, we had, we had the U.S. Army's Delta Force. We had the a SEAL Team 6 from the U.S. Navy with us for 18 months. And, guys, i got to tell you, those are the studs of the world. I Don't hold a candle to them, but they're military. They obeyed the rules, the orders, the policies and procedures. You don't have to. Well, we're supposed to, um, <laughs> but we knew we couldn't do our job. And think about this. Tom, think about this. What if I said, hey, 
Listen, I heard Pablo Escobar down at the corner of First and Main. Go see if he's down there. I'm going to get a cup of coffee. <laughs> Come back and let me find out. Tell me what you found out. Can I take a Blackhawk to go look for him? <laughs> no. <laughs> but how, think, how, how much respect would you have for me? Right. How rich was he? How, I mean, you know, we talked about this, but how rich was he? Well, if you know, there's a lot of uh, speculation out there that, uh, okay, at his, in his day and time, he was the richest criminal in the world. Go do the research now. Find out who the richest criminal has been of all time. He's still number one. His, his, his uh, uh, estimated wealth is as high as $33 billion. I read an article here just recently where it's estimated to be at $33 billion. Forbes magazine came out seven years in a row, raking, raking him as the seventh richest man in the world. Now, I don't know how they came up with their statistics. Makes you a little suspicious about that number, right? But, you know, people say, well, what about El Chapo? Not even close. Not, he's, I mean, he's a billionaire. He's a multi-billionaire, but not even close to what Pablo Escobar was able to amass. And I don't, I'm coming across, I th- feel like I'm coming across excitedly saying this. This is not a good thing. <laughs> you know, none of his money was earned from legal pursuits. All of his money was blood money. All of his money was blood money. Uh, today, who is the modern-day Pablo? Would it be an El Chapo? Well, it's, just, it's his successor, a guy who's been around for years, who's a very well-known Mexican, Ismael Zambada. They call him Amayo. So when Chapo moved up to the United States to serve the rest of his life in one of our prisons, uh, Amayo has taken over his position as a, the head of the Sinaloa cartel. Yeah. And Ismael Zambada's been around for years and years. He's not a newbie. Here's, here's the difference, though. These guys were pop culture icons, right? I mean, Pablo Escobar, mm-hmm. El Chapo. You never heard of this guy. Are they being less glamorized now, or are we going to find out more about him? Oh, you're going to find out more. He's just as he's as. First of all, you you understand how violent Chapo was. I mean, we've all read the articles and seen reports. And I've probably seen things that you haven't had access to. Zimbabwe would not have gotten in that position if he couldn't carry on. You know, he's got to main, he's got to forcefully maintain his his position of leadership, which is true in the dark drug world. You know, people say we took out Pablo Escobar and had zero effect. Well, that's because there's so much money involved and there's so many people in this world that are waiting to take advantage of you and you and me. Because if it's if it's drugs, okay, if it's weapons, if it's counterfeit clothing, whatever the case might be, they're criminals, you know, and that's what they know. There's no remorse, no guilt feelings in their actions. So would would the the idea where Oregon's going in the direction of legalizing all the drugs, you know, what what they're thinking about doing is is that the right direction? I'll, vote, I'll read exactly what they're doing. Oregon votes to decriminalize all drugs uh, uh, for uh, mental health treatment. First state law of its type makes maximum fine for possession of any drug hundred dollars and increases treatment, which means cocaine. If I have cocaine, I'm caught. It's a hundred dollar fine with results from seventy six percent of precincts reporting early Wednesday morning. Fifty nine percent of Oregonians approved measure 110, the drug decriminalization referendum, and 56% voted for measure 109, uh, according to Associated Press. The campaign in favor of measure 110 raised uh, $4.5 million. The 109 raised $5.7 million. What are your thoughts about what Oregon is doing with uh, drugs? Is this the right direction we're going with legalizing every drug? Not legalizing, just to find as $100. Right. So it's, it's a... It's not decriminalizing it completely. Yeah. It's, it's reducing the penalties for it. With And the articles I've read uh, say that their reasoning is to focus more on rehabilitation. Okay, I'm, I'm in favor of rehabilitation. I don't think legalizing or reducing penalties is the way to go about that. People say, 
Well, it, it'll give them more incentive to get into rehab. Why? Why is it going to give you more incentive? What we're going to see, when you legalize marijuana, we, we recognize rare marijuana, and this might be my personal opinion or law enforcement opinion, but uh, I think a lot of uh, Americans would agree with this. It's a gateway drug. So I think back to when I was a kid. You know, I'm a little kid in Tennessee. Uh, you, somebody stole a beer out of dad's refrigerator. We all sat around and took a drink of beer because it was cool. It was that, that peer pressure thing. Mm-hmm. It tasted like crap, <laughs> you know, at that age. But you thought you were cool. And so what's the next step? Well, somebody stole a bottle of wine out of dad's refrigerator, so we took a drink of that, you know. And that's not so bad. So then we're, you know, we're graduating into whiskey, into liquor. It's the same principle with narcotics. People try marijuana and they're like, that's not so bad. You know, it makes you hungry afterwards. I've been told, I'll just so you know, I've never smoked marijuana, but uh, I've been told it creates uh, what they call the munchies. You know? <laughs> Preacher's boy taking beer away from dad. I mean, your dad was drinking beer. Yeah, not in this. my dad. <laughs> oh, I, I thought you were talking about your dad. I'm like, listen, that's a pretty uh, uh, aggressive church if pastor comes. I mean, those messages got to be powerful messages. Hey, hey, hey. Let, me, let me tell you, my dad was a Southern Baptist minister. He, he ruled by the rod. You know, he, oh, so uh, he was legit straight. Oh, uh, I grew up a very different lifestyle than most people. You know, you look at those numbers in Oregon, right? 55%. Went for it? I mean, are you kidding me? Who believes that? Who literally thinks that's a good idea? Is it just young people that are saying yes, just drug people that do drugs? Here's the other question. That's why this thing with Sidney Powell is so important. If they can manipulate the presidential election, if in fact it did happen, yeah. what about some of these propositions, some of these other things in other states? Why couldn't they you know, skew the results on that as well? I mean, something like legalizing drugs. Or what they want to do in Seattle or in Washington is yeah. legalize misdemeanors, essentially. That, that one came out yesterday. That just brings more chaos to society, which there is one faction that wants that. So that, that, the, the trickle-down effect from the potential of this fraud on these voting machines just goes so deep. Well, and you, and you look at marijuana and it's, you know, people say, well, it's, it's harmless. No, it's not. People say it's a victimless drug. Well, a couple of months ago, I did a little spot for a TV station in L.A. where seven people were murdered in Riverside, California, in a marijuana grow site. They didn't take their money. They didn't take their drugs. It was a retaliation attack. I'm going, to me, it, it looks like it's probably competition. Yeah, that was out. the one at that party, right? That outdoor party? No, no, no. This was a private house, and there were seven people in there that had been maintaining this grow site. Is that victimless? When you've got seven murders, that's not victimless. It's ridiculous. But now you look at the—we're looking at the hard drugs. We're looking at cocaine, heroin— methamphetamine, opioids. Holy cow, it's now, it's now acceptable to have possession of illegal opioids? You know, and another thing that's not even being talked about very much is the counterfeit medications coming to the United States, many of which are laced with fentanyl. So Javier and I, the last two years, we've been working with a group called Partnership for Safe Medicines. Mm-hmm. We've been on Capitol Hill twice, once for uh, the House side, once for the Senate side. Last year, we went and spoke to the American Legislative Exchange Conference which was legislators from all 50 states right here, in, well, down the road in Austin, Texas. You know, we, we received a positive reception from them, but I was a little surprised that so many of the state legislators were unaware that this is a problem. People say, well, we need to be able to, to buy our medications from online Canadian pharmacies. Talk to the Canadian, talk to the RCMP. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as an online Canadian pharmacy. What they do, the bad guys will ship it in from Pakistan, China, India, whatever countries that it may be originating in. It passes through China. They, anybody can create a website. We've got a website. You know, it, it didn't cost anything, very little to, to create a website. 
and you can put you put a picture of a maple leaf on there, and this is what we're doing. It's all bogus because it passes through Canadians to the Canadian law enforcement uh, or, or, or uh, medical professionals have responsibility of checking the package. No, it's just a pass-through country. So you don't know what you're getting. The counterfeit, the bad guys, what they'll do is they'll take the active ingredient out of a pill. If it's an opioid, they'll take that out and replace it with, with, uh, with nothing. Just leave the binders in there that hold the pill together. So if you think you're getting cancer meds, you might be taking the placebo and not know it. They might leave a little bit of the active ingredient in there, but you're still not getting what you thought you right were. Right amount that you thought you were getting. Right. right and then if they put fentanyl in there, oh, my gosh. I mean, you guys know it takes three grains, three or four grains of fentanyl. Not grams, grains. Think of a grain of salt. That's enough for an overdose. It's all Prince died. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, the, I mean, we're looking at uh, what's the latest numbers I saw, roughly 70,000 deaths from overdose here in the United States, yeah. 46, over 46,000, I think, were attributed just directly to opioids. And now in Oregon, it's okay if you've got counterfeit opioids or you've got opioids that you don't have a prescription for. One of the most dangerous things in our country. And not just Oregon. You know, D.C. passed, uh, t- tentatively, tentatively passed for the psychos- uh, psilocybin mushrooms, the psychedelic mushrooms, to be legal in D.C., I live outside of D.C. Maybe, maybe the politicians need to take some, though. Maybe they will come out with some <laughs> well, Steve, new ideas. Steve's I don't bypassing know. marijuana going right to the mushrooms, aren't you? Oh. I mean, party time. <laughs> but, but, but here's my question for you. You know, I don't even drink alcohol. <laughs> here's, my, here's my question for you, though. What you, what, the way you started it, you said uh, we're the number one country in cocaine. It's the cheapest it's ever been. Wholesale prices are down, which means it's coming in more. And it's not a statistic we want to lead in. And then you said you can go to any street right now if you wanted to buy cocaine, you could, right? Okay, fine. So if you and I today wanted to go on a project, we had the camera crew following us in a very low-key way to go on the streets of Dallas to see if we can find cocaine, we're probably going to end up finding cocaine. We may need 30 minutes to an hour, but we're probably going to end up finding cocaine, which may not be a bad project to put Mario and Adam on, just to kind of, <laughs> they get arrested. Be careful. Just let the camera roll and send them Be out. careful. Be very careful. But, but here's where I'm going with it. Here's where I'm going with it. The libertarian position, many of the libertarian position is, legalize all of it. If you want to put that on your body, do it. You know, if you want to kill yourself with it, go for it. I mean, it's not like you can't kill yourself with alcohol. Many people are killing themselves with alcohol. Matter of fact, up to date, there's only been one person that killed themselves with marijuana uh, on, based on statistic, but God knows how many people have killed, killed themselves with alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. What's the big deal if we legalize marijuana? What's the big deal if we legalize these things? It's not like they can't get it anyways. I mean, you yourself said you can't get it. So if you can get it, if we do legalize it, does it get rid of the drug dealers that are out there? I guess that's the question. Well, we've legalized marijuana. Have we gotten rid of the Mexican marijuana growers? Have we stopped the violence? Not at all. Not at all. It's, it's too lucrative a market. They make too much money in that. The, and what's happened with the legalized marijuana is the jurisdictions where it's legal have taxed it so heavily, it's more expensive. So they can buy yeah, what we call skunkweed. Yeah. You know, they can buy the illegally grown marijuana cheaper. So the market's still there. But here's the other thing. Should you and I and Tom, should we change our morals and our standards for money? I don't agree with that. When these people become addicted, are you and you and I who work hard for our money, who pay our taxes, we've worked hard all our lives. I'm retired and I'm working as hard now as I ever did. Should we be responsible for creating uh, rehabilitation programs? Would it make a difference? Would they have gotten the drug regardless if it was legal or illegal? 
Well, when it's legal, people think, well, if it's legal, it must be okay. It must not be that bad. You think that's what they think? Because for me, even though cigarettes are legal and uh, alcohol is legal, I don't think it's good. I mean, I, every time I see somebody smoking cigarettes, I tell myself, what are you smoking cigarettes for? I mean, we know at this point it's terrible. For what are you smoking? So how many more commercials do you need? How many more, you know, uh, you know how many <laughs> of those things do you need to see to say this is not something I want to do? I mean, it's families mm-hmm. being lost over cigarettes and alcohol. So, you know, and if you choose to drink responsibly, let's just say you want to go have a whiskey. Let's just say you want to go have a cigar and a whiskey with friends. Okay, fine. But uh, cigarettes are legal. I mean, you remember the movie they did. What's that one movie they did with that one actor that played in uh, – in, um, one of these uh, uh, Avengers movies or Batman, Spider-Man movie. What, what's the Spider-Man movie? Um, anyways, one guy plays a bad guy in, uh, he plays a bad, a bad guy in Batman, I believe. And it's the story of Philip Morris, how he's going around telling people that cigarettes are not bad for you. It's okay for you. It's not addicting. And he's a phenomenal lobbyist, mm-hmm. incredible lobbyist. This movie blew up because of how he exposed Philip Morris's lobbyists, how great of a job they were doing, going out there convincing people it's not that bad for you. And then eventually they had to put the sign saying, if you smoke cigarettes, this could kill you, you could get cancer, et cetera, et cetera. So if people are already going to get their hands on it, what's the difference if it's legal or illegal? The difference is it's going to change your lifestyle. If you become addicted to it, you can become a non-productive member of our society. No, I get that. What I'm asking is, but <clears throat> if I can get it, uh, Steve Bean, if it's legal, I have access to it. If it's illegal, I still have access to it. What is the difference? Well, I think when you legalize it, it's just so you've got people who are saying, and, and this has been proven with marijuana. You know, I've always wondered about it. Well, now it's legal. Let me try it. Yeah. Becoming addicted to marijuana is, is not going to happen if you smoke a few times. Um, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, opioids, the chance for addiction can be there with the first use. Now, people are going to argue about it. You're going to get a lot of negative comments because I said that. Go back and read the jurisdictional or, or go back and read the researches that reports that the med, a, a bona fide CDC or medical research paper, not some group that, uh, yeah, I think marijuana should be legal because I want to try it. Look at legitimate yeah. studies and see what's happened. P- countries around the world have tried legalizing drugs with good intent. But the truth is, if you go look at them, it hasn't worked in any country yet. You end up with more addicts. You've got more people out there that are not working. You've got, you want people sleeping on your front lawn trying to break in your house so they can obtain money. They say, well, if you legalize it, then, uh, you know, that will cut down on crime. Well, you still got to gain money to buy it. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's free. You know, I, I, here's a little unofficial survey. I don't see anybody smoking cigarettes anymore. It, I, it almost makes me wonder how big tobacco stays in business. How much did, how much, can you pull up how much uh, Philip Moore's revenue was in 2020 so far, 2019? Keep going. Okay, but I can't go a day without smelling marijuana, without seeing people smoke it. Now it's legal in California, but any, you go for a walk, it's way on the weekends, you're smelling it everywhere. You go to LAX, and it, that's the big new thing now, people smoking pot outside of LAX. I smell it all the time, every single week. So holy moly, <laughs> seventy-seven billion U.S. Wow. dollars cigarettes. Wow! You think about it; they're spending way less money on advertising, so their profit margins are probably way better, right? I mean, imagine how much they were on every magazine, you know, billboards. Yeah. They used to spend so much money. Clearly, they're getting cigarettes into the hands of people. How much is a pack of cigarettes? How Five? much is a pack of cigarettes today? What's the pack? Would you guys know or not? I mean, I have no idea. Type in what's the price of a pack of Anybody knows the price of a pack of cigarettes? If you're watching this, comment below. Obviously, you're giving yourself away that you kind of know. But 
I guess it? I'd guess five Six bucks, right? So let's do the math. Each pack of cigarettes, how many cigarettes does it have? Can you go and do the math? Tell me how many cigarettes. cigarettes in a pack. 20. Is it 20? 20 cigarettes. Okay, 628. Let's do the math here. Let's do the math here. I'm actually curious to know. So 628 um, divided by 20. 31 cents. Figuring out how many cigarettes get I just kind of want to do that. <laughs> I mean, I am such a... Uh, He's looking for a new investment. 250 billion cigarettes per year. Guys, 250 billion cigarettes smoked every year. Two hundred fifty billion smoke. That so so two hundred fifty billion cigarette smoke. If you took it down to average of seven point seven, what's two hundred fifty billion divided by seven point seven billion? If you just did it by seven point seven billion, you're talking about each person on average smokes three point two cigarettes per year. Okay, each person. If each person <laughs> smoked, this, children, have babies. you smoked any this year? <laughs> I haven't smoked any. Have you? Have you? Cigars, have you yes, but not cigars. Cigars, me too, but not cigarettes. Right? <laughs> A quarter of a billion cigarettes are still being smoked per year? Oh, my God. By the way, if you're watching this, you're a proud cigarette smoker, and you're willing to say, I smoke cigarettes proudly. I know some of you guys won't admit to it, but if you're a proud smoker of cigarettes, comment below and say you smoke cigarettes. I'm it, actually curious. Isn't it unbelievable? 30, I don't understand cigarettes. Ago? That's the one thing right. I don't understand. Uh, Imagine I understand weed. Okay. I don't understand cigarettes. Right, and, and to think that people used to smoke on airplanes. 30, yeah. 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was everywhere. Now it's just not cool anymore. We well, see the old movies, even in Congress. You're testifying before Congress, and they're sitting there smoking a cigarette during con- in an open Congress. Well, you know, uh, uh, Biden wants to legalize marijuana across the board, na- nationwide. It's similar to the federal minimum wage that they want to do. Across the board, they want to legalize marijuana. So if you're watching this, if you're watching this, you saw the little banter that we have here. Press thumbs up if you say legalize marijuana. Push thumbs down is if you say absolutely not, do not legalize marijuana. Right now we have 334 thumbs up, two thumbs down. So we'll see what's going to happen with the difference there <laughs> with thumbs up and right. thumbs down. I'm actually curious to know what the you know, average viewer yeah. thinks, whether we should legalize it or not. Let me say one more thing Please. about marijuana. Now, um, and again, this is uh, kind of odd coming from, you know, I was a cop for 38 years. Javier was also. If I don't believe that anybody should live in chronic pain. If you have cancer, whatever the medical condition is, it causes you chronic pain, legitimate, not <laughs> not self-imposed, but uh, or created in your own mind. Yeah, imaginary. And if if smoking weed relieves you of that pain, if psychologically you think that relieves you of the pain, quite honestly, I don't have a problem with it. But that's medical marijuana. That's not you know growing your own weed in the backyard or going out and buying skunk weed from somebody out in the field. I just don't think that. Uh, Anybody deserves to live in that kind of pain, and, and we've had family members pass from, from uh, cancer as well as uh, other illnesses. So I know that's kind of odd coming from us, or when I say us, I'm talking about Javier as well, because we've had long discussions about this. But legalizing these other drugs, including marijuana, I don't think is the answer. What is the answer? Well, I think, I think we should do a much better job at educating our, our young people at the earliest pop- possible age. So I've got five granddaughters now. Uh, if I have to scare the crap out of them at the youngest age possible to get them to realize how bad the effects of narcotics are, I'm okay with that. And I love my granddaughters. I'll do anything for them. But we need, we need to do a better job of educating. We used to have the D.A.R.E. program, a, a past— mm-hmm. uh, Yeah, say no to drugs. A, a past organization yeah. did, did away with the budget. 
Was that Nancy Reagan? Is that the Nancy yeah, she came created. up with? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The education part is so important. It starts at home. If you can't train your kids by yourselves, you're screwed. Because and then what about all these families where the parents smoke marijuana? They're smoking right. pot, so they're experiencing it throughout their childhood. They're seeing it. It's accepted. Their friends are doing it. <coughs> Me personally, I just here's one message I preach. You're a loser if you do drugs. And I just stay with that with all three of my kids, and it's working so far. Well, you know, DEA has a program. I'm, I'm not speaking as DEA because I'm retired, and I'm not an expert on this at all, but I, at all, but I'm aware of an initiative they have called the 360 Strategy. So people want to come in and say, hey, law enforcement, it's your responsibility to stop drugs. One organization can't stop it. It's so prevalent in our society. So what they've done is 360 goes into a city, a high-risk city, and they bring every component of the city together. So you got your law enforcement, your court system, your politicians, your doctors, your pharmacies, your housewives, the uh, faith-based community. Everybody comes in and collectively works to come up with a solution to whatever the drug problem is in their community. And they're seeing some successes. Is it overwhelming success? No, but they are seeing progress. So I think that's a pretty... Uh, Pretty good operation. I think whoever thought that up in DEA did a phenomenal job coming up with the concept. But also, I'm a big proponent of self-acceptance and responsibility for your actions. Our society today has become so permissive, anything's okay. I mean, it's just ridiculous what's going yeah. on out there, right? So, but, you know, I knew if, if I did certain things, I was going to pay the price with my dad. And, I, you know, I knew what my, I, I did grow up in a, in a rough upbringing because of what was expected. But that was the bottom line. I knew what was expected, and I knew what the penalty was if I didn't live up to expectations. So why don't we have that now? Why is it okay for you to go do everything you want to do when you're hurting other people? You know, it's just I'd like to see us get back to where we're making good, sound decisions and we accept our responsibilities for a bad decision. Yeah, I, I, I tell my kids this story. My uh, two sons, I sat them down. I said, you know who the president is? Yes, President Trump. I said, do you know his uh, older brother? No. Who is he? Fred Trump. Do you know what happened to him? No. He died. Do you know how he died? No. From drinking too much alcohol. He drank too much alcohol, became an alcoholic, and then he eventually killed himself. You know who doesn't drink any alcohol? Who? President Trump. Why not? It's a personal decision that he made. So the, I go through that process. So then uh, I told the story, I think, uh, a couple months ago. Uh, uh, so we had some people over, and we have alcohol in the closet. So she opens it up, and our nanny says, yeah, that's alcohol. And my son comes up to me, my seven-year-old. He says, Daddy, why do we have alcohol in the house? If you say alcohol kills people, why do we have it? Look how they hold you accountable. <laughs> right, right. And uh, my oldest son trying to protect me says, Dylan, Daddy has alcohol in the house. In case something happens, you get a wound to put alcohol on it. That's why we my oldest son. It's interesting, you know, how he thinks about it. But, you know, by the way, quick shout-out to a couple people here. Good mother. Just gave $100. The world is laughing because we have women ruining our country. The polarization is between the sexes. The mystery needs to stop. Then we had another one that came back from Good Mother. The strong women need to stand up and put our crazy sisters in their place. I've given men permission to speak the truth. I don't know what just happened. I mean, I think Adam just created a movement of women on, on this because he said there's only one here. But uh, you know, shout out to those uh, to to the good uh, uh, mother that gave that uh, um, donation right there, the hundred dollars and the ten dollars. But uh, uh, are are men being kind of a uh, uh, you know pansified a little bit? Like, are they being you know sold as you know men are weak? Is is that kind of a campaign that you're seeing? Because I, I have a couple guys that I work with. I have a friend of mine I had a conversation with them over the weekend, probably. 
a good 90-minute conversation. When my son was uh, doing basketball practice on Sunday, I had this conversation with this friend of mine. And I recommended him a few years ago a book. And the reason why I recommended him this, I mean, I don't know how we got to this topic, but I think it's a conversation we need to have. I'm curious to know what a man's man's going to say about this. So, you know, I noticed every time we'd go out, he was so uncomfortable and on the edge around his wife. It was like this guy couldn't enjoy himself. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. All this other stuff, right? And one day I'm sitting there talking to him. So let me ask you a question. Who would you spend more time with, mom or dad? Mom, Are you a mama's boy or a mama's boy? Okay, cool. You know, it's great. Mama's boy is uh, it's phenomenal. I had a great laugh with my mom the other day uh, where somebody from Armenia called my, band, my mom from the Middle East. Baku Azerbaijan called my mom and said, do you know who your son is? Do you know what your son said about the Armenian community? Give us your son's number. We want to call him and congratulate him. My mom's like, do you want me to give you my son's number? He says, <laughs> he says, my son barely has time to talk to his own family. You think he's going to call you? <laughs> he just, we had a good laugh together. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, we're sitting down. I'm like, listen, tell me about your relationship. Why are you the way you are? You're so on, uh, walking on eggshells mm-hmm. all the time. So I said, read this book, which, by the way, I highly recommend this book for any man. It's called No More Mr. Nice Guy. Okay. And this book explains how men used to be raised being around their fathers more, working on the farm. So kind of like somebody like your dad, dad would push him around, toughen him up, all that other stuff. And after a generation, boys were raised spending more time around moms than they were around their fathers, and they got a little bit softer to where now men are not as strong, as manly as they once used to be. Now, this is what the author talks about. Phenomenal book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. I recommend every nice guy to read No More Mr. Nice Guy for many different reasons. Do you think there's any credence to men being a little bit soft nowadays? Jeez. Don't get them started here. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Be gentle because we don't want to offend our nice guys. Please, Steve. No, you know, people tell me I'm a nice guy. You know, I, I nice grew, guy who took down Pablo yeah, exactly. Escobar. I'm just a nice well, one guy. One guy who doesn't think you are. I saw a photo of him. <laughs> Loaded, barefoot. Um, you Bleeding. know, I, I, honestly, I grew up a mama's boy because it was easier to get things from my mom than it was my dad, right? <laughs> um, I've always considered myself a mama's boy, but I don't think that makes you weaker. You know, and, and I, I don't see anything wrong with being a mama's boy. It's, I'm a huge on on the quality of the sexes if you're doing the same amount of work you deserve the same amount of pay you deserve the same amount of recognition rec, uh, recognition um I, I, did you ever get a guy answer from the guy why he was yeah, did he nervous the around his wife oh he read the book oh yeah he read the book and 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 things changed in their relationship and uh, uh but you know again i see a lot of people that try to appease and conform way too much uh, and they try to please everybody in their lives all the time. And sometimes when you do that, you're not able to enjoy your the things that you want to do in your life because you're always worried about what about what this what about what that person thinks. Now, there's a different story between wanting to make your parents proud. I want to make my mom and dad proud. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure my mom, you know, looks up and says, "That's my son. I'm proud to have a son." There's nothing wrong with that. But the part about like, for example, in the Middle Eastern community. By the way, the author's name is Robert Glover. I'm telling you. I highly recommend this book. I've never met the author. I've read the book multiple times. He owes you a thank you after today. <laughs> and, and just so everybody knows, this is a Robert. Can you put the Can you put the picture up here just so we can give this guy a shout out? And and you know what? If anybody knows Robert Glover, and if Robert Glover, anybody sends this podcast to you, send him send us a message. Maybe we'll bring you on here to say 
to, to get you to talk some smack to nice How guys. How did I don't you know. read it for the first time? Did so you think I, you were being too nice? No, not at all. So <laughs> I so I had I was reading a book called The Way of Man by an author that's a very weird author. You remember this guy? He came over here. We interviewed him. He's a gay Republican. Okay, and he was. Uh, He's not anymore. He was at the time, and he kind of changed, and the interview was a little bit awkward. So, you know, at the end of the interview, he says, well, you know, I kind of wish this interview, can we cut this? Can we cut that? I'm like, listen, we don't do cuts. We just give the interview. And I said, let's just sit on the interview. We never went live with the interview, right? But when I read the book, The Way of Man, it recommended No More Mr. Nice Guy. So I just said, let me go buy all these books Mm -hmm. because I'm leading an organization with a lot of agents. Some of them were going through this. We started recommending this book, and, and it changed for some people. But Going back to uh, going back to the question of uh, uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy, I don't know. I just see a lot of people nowadays that are constantly trying to please everybody all the time, everybody all the time. And there's an element of when you're trying to please everybody all the time, you cannot spread your wings. You know, at some point you're gonna. My mom and dad would fight, and my dad. I'll never forget what my dad would say to my mom. My mom, my dad would say, why are you so, why are you like this with this, these kids? You realize they're going to do the same thing we did. And she says, what do you mean? I said, your kids are going to grow up one day just like you left your mom and dad to go build your own family. One day they're going to leave you and go build their own family. They got to be independent, right? So my dad was a little bit trying to build independence. She was more trying to build, you know, uh, mm-hmm. attachment and stick around and all that other stuff. It's very common in the Middle Eastern community. Middle Eastern marriages, let me give you an idea how Middle Eastern marriages work. Maybe a little bit closer to Latino, and you guys can can completely say it's also similar in American type of marriages, but let me give you Middle Eastern marriages. So say a boy, a man, decides to get married, and they're Armenian, okay? The guy's Armenian, the girl's Armenian, mom and dad, both sides, very much involved. There's a lot of politics. One side will say, he shouldn't be doing this. The other side will say, she shouldn't be doing this. It's so much. You should raise your kids this way. You guys shouldn't do that. It's all this should, 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 should constantly, which you should be doing. And what it typically ends up doing is the, the, the two that got married, they loved each other. They're crazy about mm-hmm. each other. I mean, if you said, yes, I do, you love this woman or this man at one point, right? What caused this division between a husband and wife? These are good friends of mine. What caused the division between the husband and wife? Families getting involved. Almost nine out of ten times is families poking the girl sure. and poking the guy and say, you, 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 should do, you should do this. And sometimes the man's like, oh, my gosh, yes, mom, you're right, yes, mom. So mom becomes a priority over the wife, you know. When I got married, I told my mom a very interesting thing. I don't know if I told you this story the no. day I got married. So I'm getting married. I sit my mom then. I said, for the last 30 years, you've been the number one woman of my life. Effective June 26th, you're going to be number two. So you had an official meeting with your mom I, telling I her the to. rain is over? And you know what I said? Here's what I said. You cannot say yeah. anything about our family and how we want to raise our kids unless if you want to pay for it and if you want to raise them. Hmm. If you're not going to pay for it, you're not going to raise them, we're going to raise our kids the way we want to raise them. And you may disagree with it. It's totally fine. But that's how we're going to raise our kids. She sat there at first. It wasn't because this is not an Armenian thing to yeah. do for a son to say something like this. But we live in America, and we moved on, and it's great. You know, family is good. No, it's she, probably important you set so, the tone right yeah, there. Yeah, so to me, some, when I say no more Mr. Nice Guy, I listen, Kai's a mama's boy. I freaking love it. But Kai's also a man's man because his dad's a tough guy. Okay, he's a, he, 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 he talks, he, he's such a family guy. He'll sit there in his cubicle. He's speaking in his Norwegian language, which I think half the time they're talking shit about us. But, you know, <laughs> so, and, and then they'll start talking and all this stuff, and he'll just come in the middle of a meeting and say, hey, my mom wants to say hi. And his mom's very talkative. If you're watching, I love talking to you, but you, you can talk. 
And so all of a sudden, she'll go 45 minutes or an hour talking. But you know what? As much as Kai is close to his family, he's going to go to spend time with his family for a couple of weeks, the guy's still a man's man. He still has that independence. So I think that mixture of having both is so necessary. Sometimes when you get too much of it on one side with men, they become too nice mm -hmm. and... You know, they don't spread their wings. What are your thoughts, Tom, about this? You know what? I want to read that book. <laughs> I do too now. Shonda, don't get upset I, if he reads this book. Oh, my book. God. You know, Shonda's going to say, screw that book. Oh, she'll burn it. I mean, <laughs> I might get a little liberation. I mean, it'll be like a coup in the house. I'll have a say in something. You know what? Oh you talk God. about a five-foot-two dictator, man. I mean, she, but it's all good. Um, how do you get that book? Amazon? <laughs> you, you, you will, I'm being sincere with everybody. Yeah. I highly recommend that book. I don't make a penny off this guy. I've never met the author. I have no idea who he is. But it's a phenomenal book for anybody to read. So do you have any other opinions on that with uh, men that are sometimes too soft or no? No, not really. No. You, you know, everybody's okay. right. set your own Whoopers standards. And you are a nice guy. Live up to your standards. You know what, Steve? You're a nice guy. I don't <laughs> care what Pablo said about you. I think you're a nice guy. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stay there. So what story do we want to get into? we got a lot of different stories sure. to get into. Uh, do we want to get into the ammunition? So why don't we talk about that since we have Steve here? Vista Outdoors reports ammunition backlog over a billion dollars. We currently have a uh, we currently have over a year's worth of orders for ammunition in excess of one billion. Met said during a November fifth call with demand for outstripping supply and inventory levels in the channel at our all time lows. Uh, at all-time lows, we see strong demand continuing, and this metric informs our viewpoint of what a recovery normalization could look like. Vista was reporting its second quarter earnings when CEO Chris Meltz detailed what announced a backlog, which he called unprecedented for the, uh, for the company. An estimated 1.9 million firearms were sold October this year. 1.9 million firearms. That's a 65% spike from the same month in 2019, according to data provided by small arm analytics and forecasting. So, you know, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And what is it telling us about the current state of things? I think it's a spotlight on what's going on in this country. You can't have a conversation with someone right now where they haven't said, oh, I, I'm going to get a gun or I just got a gun. Oh, I got my gun ready. Do you know how often people say that? Doctors, doctor friends of mine are constantly telling me about the guns they have. When I see this, too, I'm going... Are Americans that bad of shots that we need that much <laughs> ammunition? I mean, my God, can't we hit That's anything? That's a very good point. I mean, a huge backlog of ammunition. Here's the other thing. Can't they make more? I mean, you would think this is a golden opportunity for them to just really capitalize on this because it's not going away. Um, the political climate is completely 100% driving this. It's not mm -hmm. like we're under quarantine and people have more time to go hunting, right? It's because people are fearful. Hell, I've never owned a gun, Pat, you know? I've never owned one, but I, I, I want to get one. I mean, You've never owned a I've gun. I've never owned a gun. I've and never, you're a conservative. Yes, but I've, I'm the, I, you know, I grew up with hunters. Everybody in my family hunts. I've never cast a fishing pole. Hell, I could do more damage with a tool. I could probably hurt somebody just trying to fix something, you know, change a light bulb, and I could kill three people. You've so you never shot a gun? Okay, one time when I was living in Omaha, I had a friend who was a police officer in Omaha, and we went to the shooting range, and she let oh. me do it. But I've never had the interest to. I've never felt threatened. I've never felt like I needed a gun. But I'm, I'm definitely going to get one now. Are you how do you talk to your kids about guns? How do you talk to your You know kids what? About I'm a little bit worried about it. I don't like the thought of having a gun. Because I'm not a gunman, yeah. you know? I, I don't like the thought of a novice like me having a gun in the house. I would want to make sure I was doing all the right things, have one of those uh, fingerprint safes. Where that's the only yeah, way you can get it. That's the way I would do it. But you know what? It's not a topic because it's not something that I'm into. I don't take them hunting. I don't do that kind of stuff. We don't watch 
you know, violent shows like that. So it really is the only shooting I'm talking about is teaching Dash, you know, flawless jump shots and you know how to get off a screen and that kind of thing. But I, this is this is a, a very eye-opening stat here. The fact that we have this much ammunition that people want to buy that they can't. Steve, what do you think? Well, I'm I'm a country boy, so I uh, grew up hunting. Um, you know, since the earliest age I can remember, uh, have a, a rather large variety of weapons now in my house, and it's it's quite honestly I, I do have a weapon or two for personal protection in the house, but the rest of it I'm just a collector. Yeah, I have a couple collectors items that I, I'm really proud of. I've got a 20th anniversary DEA 45 count Colt 45. Uh, 1911 that's never even had the slide pulled back on it. It's in pristine. It's wow. still got the cordite on it and everything. Um, but I, I, I agree exactly with with what he just said and the fact that this is being politically motivated. You know, I mean, I've got a, um, I guess, now that I stop and think of it, I do have a pretty large array of ammunition in my house uh, just because I used to shoot competition. But you know what? I retired from DEA in 2013, so over seven years ago. I've carried a gun twice since then, believe from, it or not. From 2013 till today, only twice. Yep, believe it or not. So you feel pretty safe in America today. Well, where I live is pretty safe. It's, you know, it's... Uh, it's is today one of them? <laughs> you uh, it? No, I can't carry it on the plane anymore, so... <laughs> what do you say? If you're having a conversation with a man that's getting married who has kids, what is your advice about having a gun in the house? Well, I think, okay, so being a country boy, I think we have responsibilities as, as, a, as the father, as the male leader of the house. That doesn't make you the leader of your wife, but you're the male leader of your house. I think one of our responsibilities is to teach our children about weapons. Now, my two sons, I taught them how to hunt. Uh, you know, the first thing you teach them is gun safety. I used to be a firearms instructor for DEA. First thing you teach is gun safety. Second thing you teach them is how to clean that stupid gun because that's the thing you hate to do. That will keep you from gun shooting safety. so much because you've got to clean your weapons or they won't function correctly. But the safety is the biggest thing. Now, I say that I'm responsible for teaching my children. I've never taken either one of my daughters out to shoot. But my oldest daughter, who she's 27 now, I've seen pictures of her on a range shooting an AR-15. <laughs> she's 4 foot 11. <laughs> the gun is taller than she is almost, you know, but uh, she's right out there. So uh, I'm an advocate of teaching gun safety because you never know what you're going to encounter. You know, when we were going overseas, one of the things, the additional trainings that DEA put you through is they would send you to Quantico for a couple of weeks, and one of the big classes was weapon familiarization because you never know what you're going to encounter. I'd never seen an AK-47 until I got to Columbia. Thankfully, I knew how it operated because it, a need arose. You know, so you need, I think you need that training, if nothing else, to develop that respect for the firearm. This, this junk that's going on about outlawing firearms so, well, okay, let's take all the guns away from the legal people, from all of us, mm -hmm. so we, none of us can mm -hmm. have guns anymore. You think the criminals are going to abide by that? What a stupid thought to have. That's one of the most ridiculous what? things as I've ever As stupid as that is, why are millions buying it? I have no idea. I, I just, I think they will, um, I say, I guess I'd refer to this as the herd mentality because this is what the people that I associate with myself with, that's what they think, so that's what I'm going to think. Mm. I don't want to have an independent thought. I don't want to go out and experience it for myself and find out what the truth is. I'm just going to go with other people, what they tell me to do, which that's kind of like what the media would like to do, I think. Well, you know they're coming after the guns. I mean, we don't want to turn this conversation into it. But I mean, you would imagine that is on the checklist of, of uh, agenda items of what they want to accomplish. Well, I mean, in, in this room, just so you know, there's M16s in this room and there's guns in this room. In this room, okay? 
uh, in a safe back there. There's plenty of ammunition here in this room. In the house, there's plenty as well. I'm all about it. I think men should have it. Uh, you know, the moment you get to a point where you have a kid, I think you ought to consider having it. By the way, I fully also understand folks who are raised in an environment that maybe they didn't have. You were raised around hunters and, you know, you know, Minnesota, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very normal thing to have. But I do think it's something that you ought to have. And nowadays, you know, Steve, sometimes the most basic thing, like I ask my nanny, why do you, nanny, why do you not like guns? She says, because I don't want the kids to have access to it. I said, well, then you can buy safes that kids don't. Because sometimes, you know, country folks sometimes have guns sitting on their shelf and all of it. Like, it's comfortable stuff. Like, yeah, we got one right here. I got a shotgun. You know, if somebody comes in, I can just mm-hmm. pull it out. But uh, I think sometimes it's safety. And nowadays, you can literally get one of these safes. It's right next to my bed. You put your finger, boom. Boom. Two seconds, gun is out. You're cool. good to go. Rather than let me go, let me pick it up, let me open up the safe. No, boom, boom, right. boom. And then you're the only one that can get in there. Yes. And then you can control it to make uh, uh, the fingerprint be you, your wife, and whoever else you want. And then nobody else. Okay, mm-hmm. You can do it one, two, three people. Right on. They have that kind of system. It's a few hundred dollars to get one. It's not like you're mm-hmm. spending that kind of money. So, okay. I mean, you, you can kind of – by the way, for those of you that are watching this, how many guys do own a gun? If you own a gun, just put a thumbs up. If you say, you know what, I own a gun – Put a thumbs up. How many of you never, never, you will never own a gun? In your mind, I will never buy a gun. Put thumbs down. By the way, the votes we did for legalizing marijuana, it was 280 to 35. Hmm. Yes. I guess I'm a minority, huh? That's the way the country is. I mean, we're we're, uh, desensitized to it. I mean, most states have it. I mean, we almost assume now that you're kind of a backward state if it's not legal. Does does that mean 80% of Aitainers smoke weed? I mean, I don't know what that means. Well, it's an 80% of podcasters, maybe. That followed well, this podcast. Pablo had eighty percent of the cocaine market. It's just falling right in line. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think what Steve is saying is we're in the wrong business. We may want to consider a new business. You know, I think Steve's considering a new business, selling some of that ammo you have in your house. I saw a light bulb go off when you realized how much you have sitting around in the house. There's a market for it. You know, honestly, I didn't know that was a problem until I was. Um, I go to a gym most mornings, Monday through Friday, at, uh, very early, and and some of the guys in there are rather conservative, and they're big muscle bound guys. And uh, I heard him talking one day about not being able to get ammo, and they are ordering it, and there's a three-month backlog. And That's crazy. I couldn't believe it. I, I was shocked to learn that that was just here probably in the last month or so. I mean, what's the point of having a gun if you can't get ammo? I mean, that's a major problem. Well, so we went uh, – some of the articles that Javier and I used back in the, the fight against Pablo Escobar are now on display at the Mob Museum in Las Vegas. And one of the things they have is my Smith & Wesson 9mm that I carried – you know, back during that time, it's just on display in the case and some other items. And when I went to ship it out there, I had to go to a, a gun shop where they had a, a federal firearms license so they could ship it for me legally. And I was shocked at how few weapons were in the case. I'm used to going into gun mm-hmm. stores and there's lines and lines of rifles and shotguns and just cases full of handguns. I was shocked at how small the inventory was in this gun shop. The fact that more Americans want to buy guns right now, and October was record-breaking, 65%, just tells you where we are today and how people are feeling. Because a lot of these people that are buying guns are probably not traditional gun owners that Mm -hmm. they have a collection. These are a lot of people that are saying, look, I just want to get a gun to make sure my family's safe. I have no idea how to use this, but I'm going to go get a gun to see, uh, uh, to make sure my family's protected. And that leads me to the one state that definitely needs more gun owners, California. Okay? (laughs) So, (laughs) New Newsom is saying he is considering a statewide curfew. 
Daily COVID-19 cases have doubled in California over the last 10 days, forcing the governor's office to pull an emergency break, Newsom said at a press conference detailing the state's response, a total of 41 out of California's 58 counties are now classified as purple, the tier of COVID-19-related spread requiring the strictest lockdown guidelines. Just 13 counties were classified purple last week. Newsom said his team is reviewing studies from France, Germany, and Saudi Arabia on the efficacy of their strategies as it relates to curfews. The governor referred statewide curfews of interest in Massachusetts and Virginia as examples of what Californians could resemble. California officials are still in discussions on whether to implement the curfew and key details about how it could be enforced. Since you are from California, how excited are you about this? I, feel, I can't wait. Bring it on. I mean, every day when that guy speaks, I just feel energized and motivated, and I want to buy a gun. <laughs> That's usually the end, end, end result of listening to him. It's coming. It, it's each day they're thinking yeah. of new ways, and I'm just wondering what's the end game. What are they trying to accomplish by stripping away this? You said you go to the gym every day. We haven't had gyms open since April, March. I mean, they've been closed all summer. You just get used to it now. The fact that you can't go into a restaurant. Bars aren't open. Gyms aren't open. Basketball nets aren't up. Because you don't want people playing basketball right now. You could die of COVID. You know, it's a proven fact. You play a game on -on one-on-one, you're dying. It's over. Um, Newsom, you know, and he's such... He is such a hypocrite. It's just unbelievable. And he's even pissing people off that like him. You know, the fact that he had that dinner in Napa Valley for 12 people, a 50th birthday party that he's at, I'll apologize. The Sacramento Bee ripped him, you know, really. They, they gave him a, 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 a really harsh editorial. Um, it's coming. And, and Garcetti's talking about even more restrictions for L.A. County. It's Next week, ask me, because there will be so many more limitations. Orange County, who looks at themselves as kind of, you know, a maverick almost. They like to do their own thing. They just got hammered yesterday. They're, they have to shut everything down. Churches, you name it. I mean, it's just, it's so bad. And they do it in a way that it almost is normalizing how you think of things. You get used to it. Like, we have two kids that are very active in sports. You're used to hauling them around constantly, right, Pat? You're always taking your kids to yep. practice, to a game. you got to coordinate your schedules. It's been seven months without doing it, and it would feel weird doing it again. So I think this is all part of a scheme to just slowly, they're using COVID. I'm not saying it's not a disease and people aren't dying of it and people aren't suffering from it, but it is a politicized weapon and California is at the forefront of how they're using it. Steve. I agree with you 100%. Although I am a mask wearer, um, social distancing. This is uh, other than flying on an airplane a couple of times since this all started. This is as close as I've been to, to most people. Uh, my wife and I, because of our semi-retirement status now, if we go out to eat, it's uh, usually mid-afternoon when there's nobody else in the restaurants. Um, and as I mentioned before we started the podcast today, when this all first started, I thought it was a politically motivated uh, approach by the Democratic Party, to be quite honest with mm-hmm. you. Until my son, my oldest son, is an orthopedic surgeon in Atlanta. And I would talk to him about it. And um, he sent me a letter that a colleague of his had written, a guy he went to med school with out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. They, they graduated West Virginia University Med School. Uh, and I read, and this guy's on the front lines. Now, my son is a, is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. He specializes in pediatric spinal surgery. So he's not directly on the front line. When he's not doing surgeries, he's supporting those that are on the front lines. When I read what his colleague, his buddy, was going through on a daily basis and the, the just watching people die and not being able to do anything about it changed my opinion completely. So I believe that this is an issue. Um, 
Is it as big as the media has blown it up to be? That I'm not sure. But it does not hurt me to wear a mask. People say I have a right not to wear a mask. I don't remember reading that in the Constitution. You know, a mask is not about doing what this party or that party or the government tells you to do. Wearing a mask is respect that I'm going to respect your space. I would appreciate it if you wear a mask. Yeah. You know, they've done studies. You see the the um, uh, NIH and CDC come out with studies. And you look at the percentages. If both of us are wearing a mask, the possibility, if this is true, the possibility of us passing the, the virus to each other is drastically, drastically reduced. So out of respect for everybody else in the world, I'm going to wear a mask. You don't want to wear a mask? I don't care. That's your decision. You know, I think you can use the data however you want. I think people on the other side can say that there is no benefits. CDC, and I'm not arguing with you or telling you you're wrong, but, you know, you have to wear one in California. When you're out, you have to wear one, so you, you, you have to do it. But, man, I don't think, you know, being indoors, I don't know if you need a mask. Uh, if you have some symptoms or if you've tested positive or, I, I don't know, I don't. I think it's odd when people wear young, healthy people wear masks inside. What's really odd is you see somebody in a car by themselves wearing a mask, or people <laughs> jogging and they're wearing them. Who are they I, mean, I can't be healthy breathing in those fibers. Yeah, I posted something on Twitter uh, uh, five months ago. Uh, I don't know if you remember that guy, and it created a ruckus six months ago. I, I saw a guy literally wearing a mask. I took a picture of it, mm-hmm. and I said, wearing a mask in a car driving by yourself is like wearing a condom in bed <laughs> while you're by yourself. <laughs> what do you have a well, condom exactly on to go to the sleep? Thing, There's right? nobody around yes. you that you have a condom on, and you're going to, maybe some people yeah. do that. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go through the news. The, the, the one word you see more than anything is safe. Everything has got to be safe. Are we safe? This could you imagine when Lewis and Clark were trying to, you know, move their way west and, and settlers? And, and it's just constantly having the word safe in front of you is anti-American. I, I think they are desensitizing Americans with the only thing that matters is we have to save every life. You know, we have to make sure everybody's safe 100 percent of the time. There's no way you should be in jeopardy of contracting this virus. So we're going to do everything we have to to make sure that you're safe. It's wearing me out. They're going to legislate our safety. That's, so that's what's uh, and they'll have the, v- the media on the front line. But here's the thing. I mean, if you don't mind sharing, <laughs> you, you said when you go back home tonight, when you fly back, what did you say you're going to do when you go back? I'll home? self-isolate for ten days. Self-isolate in the basement for ten days. So Steve's not just saying this, and you would probably consider yourself a conservative. Very. Very conservative, and he's still pro-mask, and he's going to self-isolate for 10 days. Do you stay away from your wife because she wasn't on this trip then, or your grandkids? Yeah. yeah. So it's just you for 10 days. Well, and the so remote. like at dinner, if <laughs> so we don't go out and eat when I'm on, in self-isolation. And this is only, this will be the third time it's happened since this whole thing started, so I don't travel too much now. But uh, if we order in, then I'll sit in the dining room, and my wife will sit in the kitchen so we can talk to each other. You know, it's, it's just... We're in the high risk group because of our ages, you know, depending on who you listen to. And it's just not worth the risk. I fully agree with you on that part about high, uh, high risk group ages. One, uh, yesterday I spoke to Dr. Stephen Gundry, who uh, 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 very, he has done 10,000 heart surgeries in his life. Okay? He's a legend when it comes down to that world. And I talked about masks because he made a video about masks. And he made one video saying masks don't work. He says there's no way in the world this. He says, as a doctor, I wear a mask for other reasons. But for you... You can wear a mask, and I still can get coronavirus through you. And then, you know, I started asking questions. Of what, what's your position? I says, now I believe people should be wearing masks. I said, your position changed. Though. He says, yes, it did. If I was wrong, I said it. I'm wrong. So 
he is now about to wear a mask. But what Fauci said yesterday, I don't know if you guys caught what Fauci yes, said I yesterday. Yes, I did. Fauci said yesterday, Kai, did you hear what Fauci said yesterday? Fauci said, we may need to wear a mask forever in America moving forward. Meaning this mask thing may be a permanent thing in America. Well, Think about that. Yeah. Forever, we will be wearing masks. I think it's an incredibly harmful thing for him to say. The way the data changes. <laughs> what, we just, yesterday the news was about a new vaccine that has a 95% effectiveness rate. So what are you talking about? More fear, more scaring people. How the hell do you know that? You don't even know what's going to happen in two weeks regarding coronavirus. You, I mean, and then they're telling, trying to tell you, I mean, the CDC literally has rules out. You can find it about what you should be doing over the holidays and not singing and doing all this outside of what the states are telling you. Your, your local governor, the CDC is as well. But man, that, that was a dangerous statement for him to say. And why bum people out to that level? Why can't we have hope that the vaccine is going to work? That'd be like a, a mis, uh, like an uninformed opinion about mumps. You know, mumps are going to be here forever. Measles are going to be deadly for the rest of time. You know, and not giving our medical community yeah, the chance to rough when to, you're flirting with people, though. I mean, just think about it for the flirting community. <laughs> so everybody's so like, hey, so she, let's just say someone's got pretty eyes and like, how you doing? And then all of a sudden the mask comes down. You're like, dude, I totally screwed up. What do we do now? You go on a date. You know, do you make out with a mask on? Like, it's like, so first base used to be what? First base is, is first base holding. What's first base? Kissing? Is first I think base, so. If first base is kissing, but that's without a mask. So what is it? Halfway is like with a mask. If we get, I'm halfway there to first base is kissing. But this thing's getting very technical for me. I mean, if I was single today, it'd be very complicated. Thank God I'm married because I don't have to worry about that stuff. But the single world, man, you go on a date. Hi, so what's your name? You know, can I see what you look like? Then the grill is all jacked up, and I don't know. I, I just, I'm very concerned for the single community. You know what? There's a big Tinder's taking a big hit, by the way. Just so you know that Tinder's <laughs> taking a massive hit today for our Tinder community out there. Clear mask. That's probably the way. So you can actually see what somebody looks like. Those freak me out, though. Have you seen the yeah. clear mask? They're yeah. weird. Yeah. Have you seen the clear mask? What do you think about it when you see a clear mask? Actually, what do you think about it? I'm curious. What do you guys think about it when you see clear, people with a clear mask? You've never seen it? You have seen it? I've seen it. You go in there. They're wearing these masks. It goes like up to here. Oh, and it's shield. glass masks. Shield. Yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, now I saw oh, the one shields? of I saw one the Dallas DFW yeah. last night I when I, I landed. To me, it's like a little bit, uh, 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 it's like Neiman Marcus-ish, you know, because, you know, when you wear one of those ghetto masks, I feel like you go to Walmart. When you wear one with, like, some cloth, maybe you go to Macy's. But when I see this glass type of stuff, like a shield, you're like, listen, maybe it's, you know, Apple mask. Apple should come out. By the way, Apple could probably monetize this. They come out with a mask and there's a screen, you're watching TV, and you have the mask on. It's next. They would probably do something like that. Well, they have masks now that you wear around your ears, but this part is clear. I saw one at DFW last night when I landed here. Yeah, that's the ones I was talking about. They're freaky. I don't like them. It was. (laughs) It was. I don't know why, but it was. It is what it is. I just, again, it's a very, very weird time when it comes down to these masks. And Fauci said, by the way, if you're watching this, I know many of you guys are diehard Fauci fans. Fauci said, wear a mask forever. How many of you are very comfortable knowing you're going to have to wear a mask for the rest of your life? Can I say this? Can I vote now? You, are you really not? No, not. I don't want to wear a mask the rest of my life. Okay, that's what Fauci's saying, though. You know, I think Fauci's a clown. I really do. I think he's lost all credibility. Every other week he says something stupid. He backpedals. He's a whiner. You know, he can't take it when Trump says something about him. I would like the head epidemiologist or whatever his title is for 35 years to be a little stronger. Can we recommend Fauci read that book? No more Mr. Nice Guy. I mean, he really needs it. The guy's a wuss. 
He really is. Bachi, go read no more Mr. Nice Guy. That's classic. That's classic. Why don't we talk about uh, education? When we talk about education, uh, Warren urges Biden to bypass Congress and cancel student debt. Kai, do you want to pull up that article if you already have it? So Biden's saying $10,000 is what I wanted to pay. Maybe we'll go up to forgiven $50,000. But Elizabeth Warren is saying let's just cancel all of student debt, meaning all $1.5 trillion of it. Forgive all of it is what she is saying. President-elect... Biden also already committed to reinterpreting. Okay, so we know that part. Uh, cancel billions of dollars of student loan debt. He can cancel billions of dollars of student loan debt, giving tens of millions of, uh, of Americans an immediate financial boost and helping to close the racial wealth gap. This is the single most effective ex- ex- executive action available for massive economic stimulus. Biden Harris can lower the drug. Okay, so yeah. go on that part. Do you have the stats? Because this is what Ben Shapiro said. Go to Ben Shapiro, which I totally agree with them. How about this? Instead of forgiving everybody's college debt, we force all of them. Kai, can you move, please? We force all the colleges who scam millions of Americans into degrees in useless theory masquerading as valuable life skills to grant refunds. That would end the grift right quick. I agree with them. Did you get that data I asked you for last night? Can you pull up that data? So, okay, here's what it looks like. 1987, 1988, a four-year college degree costs you $9,000, okay? This is all $2017. This is $2017, okay? So a nonprofit, a, 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 a public, a private was $22,000. And then it went all the way up to today. The $9,000 today is $21,000. The, the $22,000 is $46,000. And that's just college tuition. And that's, that, that number is very small, by the way, Kai. Uh, this is per year, not uh, four years. Per year is what we're looking at. From 22000 to 46000 colleges went from being a place you went to to get a degree to now being a business model. Third, these numbers are averages, while the 2017-2018 median private nonprofit prices was $35,000. 10% of full-time students attend in institutions with prices below $12,000. And 13% attend institutions charging $51,000 or more. 13% are paying more than $200,000 for their four-year of college, in terms of percentage, the price of public education has jumped 130 percent. The price of private education has jumped up 111 percent. Kai, can you can we look at one thing? Can we look at one thing? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like? Uh, uh, the other data I asked you yesterday was what? The endowment of universities. Do you have that? The endowment of universities. This is top ten endowment. Make it a little bigger. Harvard sitting on 41 billion dollars. $41 billion worth they're sitting on right now of endowment. Cash. Yale is sitting on $30 billion. Stanford's sitting on $28 billion, give or take. Princeton, $25, 26000000000 billion. MIT sitting on $17 billion. University of Pennsylvania sitting on $14.6, say $15 billion. Texas A&M's got $13 billion. Michigan's got $12.2 billion. Notre Dame's got $11.5 billion. Columbia University's got $11 billion. Uh, they're worried about making college more available to the average American, why not go pressure universities to lower prices when they're sitting on so much cash themselves? What do you think about what uh, Elizabeth Warren's saying? You know what, the first question I have when I hear Elizabeth Warren saying that, from my perspective, is how can anybody take her serious or how can you follow her? But man, I get it. I mean, if you have student debt and she comes out and say, let's just wipe it clean, I mean, I can see how that message appeals to younger people. 
it's it's unbelievable when you consider the cost. And then that's not even counting textbooks. Have you ever looked? I mean, they nickel and dime these kids left and right. Textbooks. It's a $10 billion industry. $10 billion is what kids spend. Wow. You know what a $10 billion industry is? Major League Baseball. That's a $10 billion industry. Gucci. That's $10 billion every single year. So it's staggering. And, you know... Look at the salaries of the people that run those endowments. They're making five, six, seven million dollars a year. That's insane. From 1978 till today, the price of textbook has increased 812 percent. Kai, what was the Dow Jones ad? Go, go Dow Jones 1980. Go Dow Jones 1980. 1980 is at what? 880. Uh, let's say 891. And today's at what? 29,000, 29,649. What is the number there? I'm curious because if it's if it matches, okay, why don't you do this? Go to median income 1980, median income 1980, 1980. Is that what? 21,336. And median income today? Hasn't gone up much. No, median, that's lower income class. Go to median income. So median income, go a little lower. Uh, uh, statistic, click on that to see what it shows. Okay, right there, right on the uh, below. Go a little lower to the bottom. Go back, go back, and go to the lower link right there. Stanford, yeah. Let's see what it shows us here. This is Stanford. They're fairly reasonable. 1980. Income, median income, household. Where is it showing at 1980? Can you see it? Is that about 20? Yeah, say 20. So number's about right, $20,000. And where is it at today, 2020? Go median income. So 1980, it shows median income around $20,000. What is 2020 median income? It's like 46. Is that what it was? I think it's higher than that. Median income. National median income right now, 78500 So 78500 So income has increased, give it 200%, 250% from 1980 till today. Prices of books have increased 810%. How do you keep up with that? I mean, it's a business model right now if you're selling textbooks. Yeah, totally, and I think it's a scam. I mean, what do you even need books for? I mean, my daughter's 14 years old. When she was going to school, everything's home now. I, I can't believe how heavy her backpack is. And this is for a, a freshman in high school. College, multiply that by 10. The, the, the bulk of the books, everything's digital now. Mm -hmm. I think it's a scam to keep you know hard copy books where you're hammering the kids for 1,200 bucks. It's unbelievable. Who protects that industry, Democrats or Republicans? Who protects that industry? By the way, go back to that last stat. Michigan University in uh, minimum, uh, uh, go to, uh, right there, let's play some numbers. 1987, can you highlight that so the viewer can see it? 1987, Michigan State uh, uh, University, the per credit hour rate was $49.25 per credit hour. Assuming a full year of 30 credits amounts to $1,477 in tuition. In 2017, the per credit hour is 482, 10 times more, with an estimated 30 annual credits of 14460 so 1987 is what, 33 years ago? Is that about 33 years ago? 33 years ago, it's gone up 10x in 33 years. Yes. That's a lot of money right there. So who protects universities? 
Is it more Democrats, independents, or Republicans? I would, I would, my my hunch would be it's Democrats. It's Democrats that protect them a little bit more because they're preaching the language. They're basically preparing kids to come out into the world to be Democrats. So I would imagine that they, if you had to pick one of them, but you know these universities and this whole college system, they protect themselves. I mean, they know, look at the NCAA basketball tournament. Who gets rich off that? The kids don't. You know. Uh, it's, it's the universities that make so much money. Will Muschamp, who was the head coach for South Carolina, college sports, terrible. You know, he got fired this year. They were like two and five, right? Horrible head coach. Walks away with $15 million. I mean, it's just colleges in general, it's a house of cards, I think, on some levels. And especially when, when the world's changing because of coronavirus. And what are they going to do for tuition in the following years if you're making kids do this virtually? How can you charge? They do. They charge the same amount of tuition. These private schools, they're doing the exact same thing. But you're going to see some things here, man, because there's a tipping point at some point. Mm -hmm. And you can't. That's why this lockdown is so bad. Anybody that thinks a lockdown's good, it's going to slow down coronavirus. That's what they said last spring. And it didn't work. It didn't stop the curve. It didn't do anything. So that's why I don't believe this one will be effective, and it's just another way to give in to what they're trying to do to you and with no end in sight. What are your thoughts? Education. <laughs> well, I, my oldest son, the doctor, would love to see this because when he graduated med school, he owed over $400,000. You know, I'm a cop. My wife wow. was a nurse. We didn't have the money to pay for his college education, wow. not his not his. Is it true that for the first 10 years or so, the interest rates are pretty low? And, and are they kind of easy on these kids? Or are the payments starting big right out of the gate for them? Well, you do get uh, a waiver until you're uh, gainfully employed. But, uh, it, you know, his monthly uh, student loan payment is as high as his mortgage payment, if not higher. So I know he would love to see this wave, but... Who bear, you know, the bottom line is who bears the brunt of that? Who absorbs that cost if we waive all that? The, the taxpayers. Of course. The ta- mm-hmm. And where does their money come from? Taxes, right? Mm-hmm. So the ultimate thing is the taxpayers end up paying for this. He understands when he took those loans, he had a responsibility to pay it back. He's okay with that. I mean, it doesn't like making that check every month, but he agreed to that. All the other students agreed to that. So why are we waiving that now? And another thing is if you go to the – just like you said, the sports programs – I love college football. I don't. I no longer watch professional sports, but I love college football, and I was scared to death we weren't going to have it this year. Well, it's such a big proponent of all, or, or a big part of all the colleges, yeah, the major the colleges. Model. We're all watching it again on the weekends, aren't we? So, and then you look at the colleges. There's there's not a college that I can think of that you go to. And Javier and I were on the college circuit for quite a while, speaking to uh, major universities and colleges around the country. Every college campus we went to had new construction ongoing. You gotta, you can't, have, you can't build things if you don't have the money. And when you look at the numbers you just put up on the screen, holy cow! I had no idea it was that big. What What is Elizabeth Warren's plan after you wipe out all the debt? What about the next generations of kids that want to go to college? Are they then taking out loans that in fifteen or twenty years you wipe all that out as well? I mean, it's 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 quite a rallying cry to say, hey, let's just wipe out all student debt, a trillion dollars. I mean, it's unbelievable. Again, personal acceptance or responsibility. You made an agreement when you borrowed that money that you'd pay it back. Pay it back. But I, but it's too high. I mean, something has to happen here where it can be a little bit more affordable. I, oh, yeah. I, I, guess, I agree. Especially I guess, state universities. I guess the thing be- becomes, is it more wave it 
and put the pressure on taxpayers or put the pressure on universities or put the pressure. There's only three candidates here you got to put the pressure on, right? Three people here. One is the student who took on the debt, knowing, like you said, it's responsibility. You knew what you were taking on when you took that Sally Mae mm-hmm. or whoever the loan is with, right? Okay. Is it their responsibility? Is it the college's fault for charging too much? Or let the rest of the taxpayers take on that one and a half trillion dollars and say, look, we'll just pay the bill. Don't worry about it. Whose responsibility is it if you were to put it in order? I, definitely not the government, number one. I don't think. I would say you, you have to start with everybody knows what they're getting in for, right? When you go to college, you understand when you take those loans that that's part of the You deal. knew that. Right. So I would say that would be number one. And then anything else I think would be gravy, any way you can help these kids if yeah. they're looking at these staggering loans. But I don't think it's – it would be nice if the colleges could find a way to do it, but they won't. Well, And when did colleges become a for-profit company? Oh, that's been around for – it Quite is, but time, yeah. n- never to this level. No, no doubt about it, of course, never to this level. But, you know, I- you said you watch college football, but you don't watch pro- – by the way, why don't you watch pros? You said you don't watch pros. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> is it political? Uh, yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is. It's. Uh, I don't agree with – you know, the, God bless these people. You know, they. The, anybody involved in professional sports, you have attained the level of expertise in a particular field – that most of us can't attain or we're not dedicated enough to attain that level. But the bottom line is it's a game. It's a game. We can live without games in our lives. For you to stand up and make political statements out of, of your Got it. your fame yeah. because you're a sports figure, I just don't agree with that. So is it fair to say you have a painting of LeBron James in your house somewhere? <laughs> Probably not. Probably not, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Biden Charity spent zero on research, $3.7 million on salaries, charity set up after Bo Biden dies. First reported by the New York Post, tax filings viewed at uh, uh, bydailymail.com showed that the Biden Cancer Initiative amassed $4.8 million in contributions, but spent $3 million on salaries. Gregory Simon, who super, uh, spearheaded the Obama administration cancer task force, was paid nearly double his 2017 earnings, which was $224,000. The charity's president received $429,000 in fiscal year 2018. The Biden Cancer Initiative spent nearly $1 million on travel and conference expenses in those two fiscal years, but zero on research. How is that possible? You know, it's just, it's just a bad look, if, if that's true, which it probably is. That's a, that's a lot of money to not spend. You know, it's a lot of money to, to take in, but it's not uncommon in the charity world, especially when there's high-profile people that run charities. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that he probably doesn't even know what's going on with it. But it's an opportunity to take care of some people, like the guy who's making 400000 to run this thing. I think you have to do something. I mean, you're not going to save the world with $3.7 million with as big of a problem cancer is. But it would be nice if you could attach yourself to something, especially as high-profile as the death of Bo Biden was and as tragic as that was. So I think this is it's a bad look is for it a Joe story? Biden. But what's worse? Let me, what's worse? This... Or showing Trump only paid seven fifty in taxes, the filing fee. What's worse, this or that? For them or for just the candidate? What's worse? I mean, the view. Because look at look at the way the viewer looks at it. I'm looking at it from the viewer, the voter's perspective. One side, here's a guy that's worth three billion dollars, and he uh, paid the uh, you know seven fifty in taxes. The other one is, here's someone who sun dies, creates a charity, raises four point eight million dollars. And not a penny okay. was spent on research. Which one's worse? I, I can answer that easily. Yeah. It's, it's way worse for Biden. And here's why. Because his son died of cancer. And, and to think that you're not doing anything, go do something else. 
you know, honor him in some way, but don't start a charity for cancer research and then not do anything when your son died of that. Trump, we heard Robert Kiyosaki break that down for us last week. There's maybe some loopholes for guys like him to get around huge tax bills. So I think this is worse. And I would agree in the fact that uh, are they buying political favor? The people that donated that money and there's been no research. That's to me, that's fraud. Kind of weird, yeah. It's fraud. It's kind of weird to me. By the way, if they, I, I mean, again, Daily Mail, UK, and New York Post, fair to say they're both extremely conservative, uh, 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 you know, sites. Sure. They're not fully left or independent, so people have to know what side they're on. It's not like it's CNN reporting it or MSNBC, which is far left. Right. If they do report something like that. But uh, that's interesting, and that leads me to biden talking to hillary clinton for potentially hillary clinton being on the cabinet as the ambassador to the u.n former national security advisor susan rice said thursday that the reporting president-elect joe biden is considering hillary clinton for u.s ambassador of the united nations would be an insult to the former secretary of state meaning she deserves better than that the thinking behind the move was that it would be a way for biden to highlight the importance of that position in his administration and that placing her there would rise the prestige of the UN itself at a time when global cooperation and the US role on the world stage has ebbed. The Post reported. Thoughts? Okay, so Hillary's probably going, why is Susan Rice speaking for me? I kind of want to get out of the House, get away from Bill. I'll take any job in the cabinet in the administration. Uh, it's wishful thinking. He wants to attach his wagon to Hillary in some way. This just came why, to... Why, though? Do, do, you think, do you think Democrats, when Hillary lost, do you remember the media on the left when Hillary lost? They all slowly kind of took a step back. I don't know if you remember that or not. I mean, there was a there was a positioning from everybody. Like, for example, we're about to see it with Republicans. Look how many people today when they said Trump lost, everybody was waiting someone on the right to come out. And the first person, it took a day. It was Lindsey Graham saying, I'll pay $500,000 to the legal. Nobody was saying anything. Yes, Newt was some of the, but everybody else stayed silent. So in a way, Republicans are also showing their colors. They're showing their colors to say, look, if Trump lost, we're kind of staying on the outside. Now, Ted Cruz defended him, but a lot of other guys are like, if he lost, he lost, right? Let's go and, you know, kind of step away. Why bring Hillary Clinton back? Is there a Hillary Clinton audience for Biden to want to win over? Well, I think she's a brand, and she's a Democratic brand, and there's a place for her probably in his administration. I think Susan Rice is saying something bigger. So I think she's validating the fact that she should have an even bigger role. Such as? I know you're a big fan of Hillary. That's why I'm asking you. So Let's what see. would a, a cabinet position? You know, something much bigger than that. And I'm not sure what it would be. Um, she's already been the Secretary of State. I mean, she doesn't need to do that again. But she's not just going to fade away. She has to stay relevant. She has to stay out there somehow. Plus, they're going to be taking this victory lap for four years if they can. So everybody's mm -hmm. going to be front and center, one to It'd have a It'd be a bad move for them to take a victory lap for four years because four years from now, Biden's going to be 82. And I'm not sure in what state he's going to be at 82. And if you do take a victory lap for eight years and nothing gets done, what's going to be worse is in two years you lose house. And if you lose house the way you do, right. then you're, you can't get nothing sure. done because you're at gridlock. And so if you lose house and you don't have Senate, then that means in four years yeah. – Someone on the right could potentially come and take it away from you. But Hillary wants to be involved. I mean, she became a senator and went through everything that yeah. you have to do to be elected. I mean, she's not comfortable just fading away. Right. That's I, I have zero respect for her. Really? Yeah. That's Hiring um, and I still maintain contacts with some of the special operations units here in the United States. And just, I mean, the, the incident that's always out there has been Ghazi. 
and she could have saved people by just making one phone call, issuing one order for a C-130 gunship to come in and save those people. We lost an ambassador, yeah. not just special operators. We lost an ambassador because of that, because the decision wasn't made or the decision was made as a no-go. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to protect Americans. I don't think she's on the most liked list. When you think about politics, if you were to put right now the most hated politician today, politician, who would you put at the top of the list? Who would you Trump. put ahead of her? Oh, you mean on the Democratic side? No, I mean, um, period, left and right. right. Would you put yeah. Trump one? But if Trump is one, who's number two? Probably Hillary, yeah. because she's so polarizing. You think she's number two? As I, most I think hated. so, probably. Who's third? Left or right? Who's third? Mm. Most hated. McConnell? Pelosi? Pol- Pelosi? I voted for Pelosi. Yeah. Pelosi? Yeah. McConnell's not liked either, by the way. No, they're they're both on the but same. But she's just more high profile, so I think that she's yeah. probably got more haters. The other thing, too, is, you know, everything's about favors at this point. Yeah. You know, so what, whatever deal Hillary has in place already to serve, you know, on some position, she's got that. I mean, she's going to be there. I know, I know you wrote an article yesterday on VTPost.com. Uh, uh, with freedom of speech being at uh, question right now with some hate speech, where freedom of speech, they want to kind of change the First Amendment because to categorize some things isn't free. You're not, you shouldn't have the freedom to say just anything. Some things should be categorized as hate speech. Right. So this is a member of Biden's transition team that uh, has a media affairs job, and he's saying there's some problems with the First Amendment. Now, the the reason that I believe that, you know, this thing's not going to go anywhere is because he's getting... Uh, from both sides, you know, so very controversial thing. But I think the bigger picture is it's just another day. It's another radical thing that we're hearing that they want to potentially throw out there as a trial balloon and see where it goes or ultimately make a change. You know, they keep talking about everything that they can do on the first day. It's frightening when you start looking at that list. So, look, freedom of speech is there for a reason. There's a reason it's the number one, you know, mm-hmm. Bill of Rights. So, um they would be in uh, you know, some serious trouble if they tried to do anything with that. It's just not a priority. It shouldn't be something that they should try to attack right away. Let's, let's wrap up with this. Uh, uh, not every day we have uh, uh, Steve here with us. Steve, book, How We Took Down Pablo Escobar. <laughs> Tell us a story that maybe wasn't in Narcos that's another sick story, because I know you guys got nonstop stories. Give us a story that maybe... Uh, 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 I mean, you know, many people watch Narcos, Pablo Escobar series. By the way, have you watched the uh, Narcos series of El Chapo? Did you get a chance to watch that one or no? No, I haven't watched you it. You haven't watched it, but you did watch this one. Did Pena watch the whole thing? Because I know he said he hasn't watched the whole thing of Narcos, uh, Pablo. Uh, I don't think he's finished it. And in Narcos, Mexico, I've watched up to the point where they're ready to kidnap and torture Kiki Camarena, and I haven't watched past that. Nothing yet. past that. No. Got it. So tell us a story about Pablo that maybe is not publicized, but you were a part of it. Oh, gosh. Um, there's a <laughs> Well, this is not so much Pablo, but one of the original founders of the Medellin cartel was Carlos Later, who we know was, uh, you know, he bought his own island in the Bahamas, which created a transshipment point with a massive airway, which greatly facilitated moving cocaine by boat and by airplane from the Bahamas into the United States. We know that he was arrested when uh, the Bahamians moved in and seized his properties. He fled back to Colombia. Uh, he was eventually arrested. There's rumors that Pablo is the one that ratted him out that led to his arrest. He was extradited to the United States. And remember, Pablo's whole battle against uh, the government of Colombia and the United States was extradition to the United States because he knew he would have to go to a real prison if he came up here. It wouldn't be buying off the prison guards and living that lavish lifestyle like he did. 
So when Carlos came up, uh, his attorneys, uh, when they realized that they had an airtight prosecution case against mm-hmm. him, agreed to cooperate. And we all know it's all in the history books now. He testified against uh, Manuel Noriega from Panama. Well, part of his plea agreement was that the United States would agree to get his family out of Colombia for safety reasons and very, very legitimate, you know, I mean, that, that's dead on because when Pablo would come to kill you, he just didn't kill you. He got your wife, your children, your parents, her parents, wow. your animals. I mean, he was a vicious, vicious person. I led the operation in which we got his wife and children into a safe house in Bogota and then got them to the United States. Um, a lot of people don't know, you know, that's just some of the behind the scenes things. It's not classified. It was, it's public record if you go look at his plea, plea agreement. But that's just one of the different stories that we were involved with down there. One of the things that they left out in, in Narcos that we include in the book, <clears throat> they show that my wife and I adopted a little girl down there from, uh, they show her being from Medellin and the show her name's Olivia. Well, the circumstances show that Javier and I just been in this running gun battle across the rooftops in Medellin unilaterally, no Columbia National Police. That's straight out Hollywood because we never did anything without the Columbia National Police. We had that much jurisdiction down there. We had no Got legal it. jurisdiction. Uh, but then on the way back, as they're going back to their cars, uh, you know, the, this, there's this little baby there, a little baby girl, and her dad was killed on the air on the Avianca flight when the bomb went off. Her mother was killed because they were tying up loose ends. And Murphy and Pena come by, and, and the actress says, oh, look, that little girl, she's cute. I'm going to take her home. Even in Colombia, that's called kidnapping. You can't just grab a kid off the street like that. You know, so the truth is that we, you know, we went through normal channels. <laughs> right, man. Talk about simplifying it, right? I'll take her. Yeah. You know? But what's that? What, but it's good for Hollywood. Though. Yeah, right. What's inc- Oh, they did a phenomenal. I yeah. love the narco <laughs> But uh, what they failed to put at the end of season two was my wife and I actually adopted a second little girl down there. So her, you know, she is the first daughter is from Bogota. Cool. Our second daughter is from, from Medellin. That's very Can cool. Can I ask him a quick question? Yeah. Did you know you had a book in you when you were chasing him? Did you know, were you keeping notes? <laughs> did you save evidence? How did you write this after the fact? No, we didn't. Uh, you know, in our careers all along, people kept saying, hey, you need to write, you need to do a movie, you need to write a book. That's not why we did it. We did it because that's the case we were assigned to work on. And people find this hard to believe. They say, well, after you got Escobar, you know, was your career over? I mean, did you just coast the rest of your career? Yeah. Not in DEA. When that case is over, they're like, hey, big boy, come here. Here's your next case. Get to work on it. Now, that was a case of a lifetime. We knew that at the time, but we didn't save all this. No, I wish we had because mm-hmm. we could have made it a little bit more realistic. Later in our careers, uh, and we've done a ton of documentaries over the years, and when you work for the government, you can't make money on the side. <laughs> when you work for the government, you can't make money on Based the side. Based on your job. Right. Yeah. As a DEA. Well, you, no, any job. I mean, you have to, if I wanted, I tried to run a little payphone business one time mm-hmm. uh, on the side, and I had to go to DEA and get permission, and they said no. So it's funny, though, other people in Washington make money on the side. But Plenty. We weren't allowed to. By the way, if you lie as a government employee, you get fired. At least we did. Not everybody. That doesn't apply to everybody, right? So anyway, um, I forgot where I was going with the story because I got off on another tangent there. No, but just how but, you saved all the notes and had the, yeah. the recall for your memory. So later in our career, a friend of mine in, in Washington is a small-time producer, and he introduced us to a couple of producers that were interested in doing something with the Escobar story. So I met with them. One guy, I mean, you know where the tea party is on the right? Mm-hmm. Go past that. This guy is out there. And there's a story that, that we were involved with after the Escobar investigation in which we could have indicted the president of Haiti, Jean-Bertrand Aristide, and mm-hmm. it was stopped by the White House. Coming, They didn't call us directly. It comes down through the chain of command. But we were ready to indict the president of Haiti. Think, what who, year was this? Who was Clinton? the president back then? Yeah. 
Clinton. Yeah, yeah. Hillary's husband. And what's their foundation? Haiti. Exactly. Wow. So he wanted to take that one thing and make a political statement against the left. Well, we're not about that. We're not about the politics. And we just we turned them both down. We didn't think anything would ever happen. Well, that's in 2013 is when Eric Newman, who's the creator of Narcos, came along. Nobody told us it was Netflix till we signed our contracts, which, you know, the price would have probably been a little higher <laughs> had we known that. But um, the, uh, the book was kind of an afterthought. Uh, Eric, I started to say Patrick. Eric is friends with a guy named Luke Jankel. Luke Jankel is our literary agent, Jankel and Desmond in New York City. Um, we're not writers. I sat down one time in my house when I first retired, and I thought, well, I'll write a book. So I wrote for six hours that day. I, read up, I got up the next morning and read it, and I thought, what a crock. <laughs> this is terrible. I write like a cop, you know. So, so actually the author of our book is a lady named Isabel Vincent. She's our ghostwriter. We spent uh, over a year, probably close to two years, giving her stories, telling her the truth. Uh, she's a, an, a fantastic researcher. She works for the New York Post as an investigative reporter. She's written four or five other books. She came up with the idea where we alternate our stories back and forth throughout the entire book, and she did a phenomenal job. So that's how that whole cool. book came about. This is all after the fact. I love it. Congratulations on the book. Congratulations on the success. Thank you for being a guest here with us. Folks, we're going to put the link below to be able to go order Manhunter's paperback. Just came out today. The real story from the actual DA agent's portrait in the hit Netflix original series, Narcos. Is there a picture? Is is there a frame of that picture in your house anywhere? Office anywhere? No. Nowhere? No. You don't even like seeing it? It's Honestly, it's disrespectful. We got caught up in the moment of, of him being killed, and uh, you shouldn't treat human bodies like that. So you it's don't not, even like that. A, you're not. A, you're not. A, you're, you're not a fan of that picture at all. I don't shy away from it. Every, you know, I was talking about our speaking business. We average 75 appearances a year worldwide speaking, telling the true story of Pablo Escobar, and that's one of the last pictures I put up so I can explain to audiences why I have that picture. That's a picture of Javier Pena hanging on, having a bunch of gold kilo bars and Rolex watches. What is this here? Javier poses with gold and stacks of cash seized from an Escobar safe house in Medellin during the Escobar manhunt. Oh, the truth is that's how Pablo, uh, that's how Javier came to work every day. He's got his bling on, he's got his gold plate at 45. <laughs> I can see <laughs> that with Javier. Money. By the way, Javier's personality in the series is classic, being a playboy womanizer, <laughs> left and right. I mean, he says he's not really like that, is what he said. Well, uh, let's just say that might be the one part of Narcos that's really true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Javier, he's not. Uh, I love you, brother. Uh, we had a fan here that just gave 49 bucks, Aldin Mahotovic, and put 49 dollars. He says, plata o plomo, you know, because that's a famous line in when it first gets started. Anyways, gang, if you enjoyed having our buddy, our friend Steve Murphy, push that subscribe button. We're going to do this again on Thursday. If you've not ordered this book, we're going to put the link below. as work. Kai, can you make sure you put that in the comment section so folks can go order that? And if you are a nice guy yourself, you may want to add the No More Mr. Nice Guy to the book when you order Manhunters. Watch, Amazon's going to say, people who read Manhunters also read No More Mr. Nice Guy. The algorithms are going to be complete. You know, I've got it written down in my notes. I'm going to order No More Mr. Nice Guy. Having said that, thank you for coming out and being a guest. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed it. Push that subscribe button. Until next time, we will do this again. When is it Thursday, 8 o'clock? We're doing it again. And for some of you that missed Adam, Adam will be back on Thursday. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you.